0: There's been over a 20 to 1 return.
1: If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like 17 billion dollars. But you think it's 200 billion dollars? Here,
0: yeah. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus. Don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission. Uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal.
2: Get your first shot, and when you're due for your
0: second, get your second shot. A key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit,
2: and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated... You no longer need to wear a mask.
0: Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask
3: or physical distancing. But
0: what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person.
4: Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early.
0: And if you look at Israel, Mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death. A booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have.
2: The plan is for every every adult to get a booster
0: shot. Uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in.
4: Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Hey, February 8th, 2022, thank you for joining me today. Wasn't actually going to get to a show today, but I had, I just made it happen because of a couple of important things that I came across that tie in very clearly with what we talked about yesterday and some things that we've been discussing since the beginning of this massive illusion. As you can see in the title today, we're going to have another discussion about the HIV, you know, conversation, tying all the way back to that, you know, debunked and retracted study, finding that it was quite obvious that there was inserts in this thing that wouldn't come from nature. That was also backed up by Luke Montagnier and plenty of other experts, but of course, because it doesn't align with narrative, it's therefore immediately fake news, despite how scientifically valid the question or the research is and should be. We're also going to talk about censorship to start because it was just knocked off Facebook or Meta or whatever else you want to talk about, as well as every damn other platform it seems in existence. It's other than, you know, the actual free speech platforms. We're going to be talking about early on some interesting discussions about domestic terrorism. And then again, at the end of the show today, but how it's not a secret that they've been framing anybody that's going against what they're doing as some sort of a you know, domestic problem, but then the way they conflate this with the idea of terrorism, or the way the only way they can is to somehow make this out to be violence. And I've been telling you, I'm painting this picture for you from the beginning of this, but even from before that, Whitney and I've been talking about this for a while. And we really had a really strong conversation about this around the 2020 election and into the COVID-19 discussion, how they are framing things like misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theory as actual violence, because, of course, it stops them from getting the injection. And we all know that saves everybody's lives, right? That's the framing. But it's not that far-fetched to think that if they actually make that and they really push it, and they are, that's the point, they could actually turn you, your opinion, even though we're being proven to be right today, into terrorism, domestic terrorism. And this is not a joke. This is not hyperbole. Now, we're also going to talk about natural immunity today, which you know we've talked about a lot and a lot I mean a lot and we're going to go through this today not like we have in the past but I am going to do a very you'll see we're going to do a quick montage if you will of just about every single study that has actually been saying this from day 1 but in a very quick succession without reading all the points just showing you all this stuff for those of you that have been here before you've seen parts of this before but for those that haven't it probably will blow your mind just how many peer-reviewed studies there are that literally say from back the beginning of this, or I should say at the very least in 2020 and then beginning of 2021, that this is very obvious. Natural immunity is lasting and durable, robust, and you know, on and on and on. You've heard it all before. But what's interesting is just t- today, because the Hill reported it and because Walensky said it, well, now we're allowed to acknowledge natural immunity, you see? And this is always what I've seen coming. I don't know for sure that this is where it's going to go, but my gut tells me, which is what I've been saying to you as I hit my computer, make sure we're still evened up here, that this is going to be a transition that's, and I actually thought this was always part of it, whether or not they rolled back the narrative, which is what we're seeing right now, which is going to be, oh, now we see natural immunity, you know, that thing that's been a obvious a foundational concept of everything we've ever done, but now we go, natural immunity? What is that? Is it real? It's ridiculous. And we've always known that anybody's honest with themselves. And I always expected it to be rolled back out like that. Like, oh, here it is. And now we see that it works because w- when, and Gottlieb say it on TV or whatever the variation is in this narrative removal or change. And then all they do is go, well, now you can use it for your passports, right? Oh, we now we admit you have natural immunity. Now you just have to prove it to us. And some people will go, we won, we won, that's it, we did it. And that's not the way we should look at that. That is a problem reaction solution scenario where they ruin everything. So when you fall back into the not so terrible situation, you go, ooh, this is much better. It's not. This is the infrastructure they want to build in regard to the digital ID system that they're already rolling out for the entire country. We already talked about that in a previous show. That's directly from your government, a national digital vaccine ID that's coming already, already in the works. This is about getting you involved in that infrastructure. Then all of a sudden down the line somewhere, they just pull that card too and go, well, now you need the injection anyway. Too late. You're already hooked into it. For many, this may seem like ridiculous conspiracy theory until you literally see the documentation about how they're building digital vaccine identification or the ID2020 blockchain-based, as one of the defectors called it, techno. was it uh, crypto? Techno-solutionism, I think that's what it was. In any case, she pulled away from it saying, this is dangerous. They're tying this to vaccines, and it's all coming out today. So we're going to go through this information today and show you, as usual, how it all kind of ties together with some important stuff at the end around that domestic terrorism, but how that really ties into the Great Reset and where this seems to be going. To start off, you guys are not going to be surprised, for those that might not have Seen it coming, or the saw the previous brief moment of censorship that we just had about a couple weeks ago, and before that, the intermittent censorship on Facebook we've always had. But for interestingly enough, we have never yet been censored entirely off of a platform, uh, or off of Facebook platform. Well, now we have. I can't. I mean, realistically, I don't even know of any platform right now, mainstream, that we haven't been censored from. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're talking like ridiculous ones, like Tumblr and LinkedIn. I don't even know anybody else that's been censored on these platforms. It's, it's just, it blows my mind. And you know what we're doing. I mean, they want to call us fake news, conspiracy theorists, but you hear, you know what we're doing. You see the source material. You see the peer reviewed studies that we point to that say exactly what we're saying. It's ridiculous. But here we are with Facebook. Oddly enough, of course, it's not odd at all, With a perfectly coordinated effort. Weirdly enough, timed alongside when band.video decided to kick me off their platform too. you know, really a free speech platform over there weirdly timed at the same exact moment one well, exact moment but same 20 what's well, 48 hour period twitter gone facebook gone and tv gone interesting and it's gone, for those that know that reference from South Park. Finally censored by the cowards at Meta Facebook, which, by the way, whoever that one person was that was screaming I was wrong about how it wasn't becoming Meta, eh, hopefully we can see that that's correct by now, that it is Meta, they're turn, they've turned themselves into Meta. Facebook is now Meta. They still use both, and there's still Facebook things you can see, but that Meta is what you're supposed to call it now. And they hide it behind unverifiable claims of copyright infringement. I mean, look, they're cowards by doing this. They're even more cowardly by not being like, look, Misinformation, or what we want to say. Now they're hiding it behind copyright infringement. Despite, by the way, my work being legally protected under the Fair Use Act. If you don't know what that is, take a look. Look it up. I, I, Every single thing I ever posted on YouTube had the big framing right underneath it. In fact, I mean, I actually can just read it to you. I have I have it listed right here where I post this information. You won't be able to see it, but I'll just read it to you. This is this is a disclaimer that I post and still post right now on any video that I post, just because it's a good practice. Quote, copyright disclaimer under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976 allowance is made for, quote, fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is, is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, personal use tips, the balance in favor of fair use. The point is we fall into the news category. They know that. And, and by the way, just so we make this very clear for those that want to pretend they don't think we're news, doesn't matter. You don't get to dictate who is and is not news. That's been roundly found by the by the Supreme Court constitution. But regardless, in this context, in regard to news reporting, it is, it's not only mainstream media. The point is, if you're doing a news report for yourself, for a news outlet, for anything, the point is you have the right under the Copyright Act of 1976 to use parts of it. And by the way, that's why I said unverifiable, because they don't even link or show anything that I that we did. They just arbitrarily say it, remove it, it's gone which is not a surprise. By the way, guys, Facebook is a dying platform. We should know that by now. Even the, I mean, right now you can tap into the younger generation and they think Facebook is for old people. That's why they're desperately trying to dive into the meta platform because that's the future. That's what they want it to be anyway. Hopefully it's not. But it just continues to show you how obviously forced this is and totally not a coordinated attack for multiple platforms at the same time. You know, But you can look at this as they say that they removed it because of, copyright strikes and whatever else. And I thought we were supposed to get like a warning or, you know, who cares about their process? You know, it's ridiculous. But it, the point is this continues. Now I wanted to show this to you. I thought this was really strange. Oh, I'm glad they stayed here. I'm, I've logged into one of my pirate accounts. Oh, I mean that I'm not totally at all on Twitter right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't care. I, d- I doubt that they're even barely. The point is we're going to continue to do T-Lab pirate posts, maybe even on Facebook. We'll see how that goes. If you've got a Facebook account with a following that you want to send to me and maybe get it deleted, re- reach out. Hashtag #Tlab Facebook post, but or pirate Facebook post. This was strange to me. I can't, I think I just I think I did lose it because I logged in. Oh yeah, see that's an Eric Miller. It's not showing them now. Son of a gun. Well, here's the point. This was my old account the one that it deleted. And I went on to look. Damn, I knew I shouldn't have logged in before the show. Anyway, it showed it, the one you just saw right there was some person named Eric Miller. I don't even know who that was. If you if you're watching the recording, just go back and pause it. And you'll see what I mean. And what's strange to me, I don't know who these people are. I never rep- I don't report anybody on Twitter. I don't care about that. I'm not i mean, you know, my opinion, people can are horrible. It can be disgusting, horrible, bad people. But I still think they have a right to say what they think they want to say. That's called free speech. But not when I went back on my account, there were two reports that were apparently made on my account, even though it's apparently suspended indefinitely. About two groups that I've never even seen before. Now I don't know what that is. I, I don't even know if that's just some weird glitch. You know, glitches do happen. But is it possible? I mean, is it? Let's just pose the obvious question: Are they using my old account to flag other people's accounts? I mean, it's weird. I wouldn't put anything past them right now. So my point is, guys, I think that there's some weird, fishy stuff happening behind the scenes. And I bet you they're gaming their own flagging system, right? I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't even know who those people are. One was a group and one was some person named Eric Miller. I don't know who they are. And apparently my account, at least as it says, was used to flag them. And then they removed those people's accounts. Just make it clear here. I did not do that. And I would never do that. I just think that's really interesting. Interesting. Now, on one last point about censorship, somebody reached out and told me, guess what, guys? And I'm, this is not the first person I've heard this from. They were unable to access TLAV from UK for two days straight. Finally came back around, uh, what would that be, six, eight, 6 p.m. this evening? Is it 6 or 8, 7 p.m.? I'm great. <laughs> Clearly, I'm great at military time. My service provider, Virgin Media Blocks, Tessalina, CJ Hopkins, and most recently, Steve Kirch on all substacks. They disguise it by claiming they're using child-safe settings, but porn is still coming through, I'm happy to report, right? Obviously. Now, this is where we get into... Well, actually, I, do, I forgot I have it close up here at the top. We're going to talk about the domestic terrorism and that just went out today, or actually yesterday, at the end of the show, but I want to point it out here in the beginning in this context because this is where this is going. That We just talked about that. Framing what they decide is misinformation, despite how much has been called misinformation that is right now fleshing out to be true, they get to decide and they call you a terrorist for talking about it. Or let's be really specific, for challenging what they're saying with what they don't think is real, even though we're seeing things pan out to be true. And they're blocking sites like ours. This is the technocratic future we're talking about. Now, for those that are seeing stuff like this, and maybe didn't, you know, hear me complain about all kinds of weird things happening, and maybe think maybe there's just some kind of glitching, by the way, I say that too, certainly could just be the computer having a problem, or so on and so on. But when we see stuff like this, a point I always make. This is where it's going. Regardless of whether that was just the computer or not, that is exactly what will happen in the future. They're building, and it will be their choice to just turn it off, throttle your show, throttle your internet connection, delete your domain name, remove you from a posting platform. That's where these things are going, guys. So it's we have to continue to fight back. But of course, the porn, oh, that'll never stop, right? That's their bread and butter. Now, speaking of censorship, right, because this is all happening in the United States government, completely allowed by the United States government. But the U.S. government is going, oh, warnings about free speech in Hong Kong. Oh, we got to protect that free speech over there because we care about it over there. But we do cares of what happens here as long as we say you're doing something we don't agree with. But over there, free speech is in danger. Seriously? I mean, these people are ridiculous. I mean, especially today. Like the nerve of doing this now—that's why they do this. They do this in the midst of what they know is be- people are pointing at as censorship, as cr- as violation of our constitutional rights, and they just go, "Hong Kong, look over there, Russia, bad guy, they're doing, they're the one." Like it's really that childish, is it not? It's my ball. I'm going home, I and mean, that's how it feels. You're the one. <laughs> you It's just ridiculous. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting that China is not censoring or any place you're going to point to. I bet you the governments are absolutely censoring all over the place, particularly the ones that they I mean, it's obvious, but it's also just as ridiculous for the US government to point at it, even if it is real over there, because they're doing exactly the same thing, if not 10 times worse. It's just pathetic. Now, I want to point out a great article Robert put out today, one of the earliest ones I'm seeing here. I know that I think this has been reported in some Israeli media, but I haven't seen this anywhere else, at least not from my view. So check this out. This is a pretty disgusting report about what just happened in occupied Palestine. Israel carries out extrajudicial assassination of three Palestinians. I mean, this is the picture, guys. This is in broad daylight, right in the middle of the street, just riddled it with bullets, killed them. Murdered three people. That they just went were terrorists. Oh, did you have a did you have a, a, a did you have a, a hearing? Did you prove that? Did they go to court? Did you did you read them the no? None of that happened. Of course, in this great democracy in the Middle East, right? No, they just murdered them in the middle of the street and said terrorist, and that's the end of the story. Now, is it possible? Of course it is. But how about we recognize that there's a lot of people in this situation, and actually, when you read the article for yourself, you're going to find out that that's not even remotely what happened. Now, this seems to be a message being sent. Please read this for yourself and understand what's really going on right now in the West Bank. This is not Gaza, guys. The West Bank is in its own right rising up right now because of what Israel is doing because they're losing their momentum right now. And it's thank God, because this is one of the most murderous governments I've ever seen in my life, right alongside the US government and the rest of them that are carrying out all this stuff. And no, that's not in any criticism other than the governments themselves. And by the way, there's plenty of people in Israel that criticize them too. They just don't want you to know that. Especially, especially under COVID-19. But it's really disgusting to realize that this is what your government supports. Extrajudicial. This is exactly what they did with Soleimani and plenty of other people. Just because they say bad guy, they just pretend like they get to break the rules. Seems like, doesn't that apply to what we're dealing with today? It should. Now, before we jump into the HIV conversation, a couple of other things, I wanted to just start out with this in your mind. We'll We'll get deeper in this at the end of the show today. But as of yesterday... The DHS, Department of Homeland Security, issues National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin, which they do periodically or or often, it says the United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors. Like we've never it it seems like and it's not seems like since 9-11, this country has maintained a heightened threat state all the time forever, despite how much of this is being driven and created and lied about by them themselves. Including 9-11. but it says including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories. It's exactly what it says, and other forms of mis, dis, and mal information. Literally, an acronym MDM. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me! Now we've got mis, dis, and mal MDM. All that MDM information out there. That's this is ridiculous. They love their acronyms, don't they? Introduced and or amplified by foreign or and domestic threat actors. Now in one sentence. You just got exactly what we have been telling you is coming, the crossover between conspiracy theory, COVID-19, information they disagree with, the alt-right, maybe white supremacist with the foreign actors, right? Because all that ties, when they say conspiracy theory, misleading information, what does the mainstream think? Republican, right? Because that's how they're framing it right now. Okay, so you don't have to say that. So conspiracy theory, when they say that is what they're talking about, at least in the minds of the mainstream people that are lost. And talking about that crossed over with, obviously, quote, conspiracy theories, narrative misinformation, that's COVID-19 in everybody's mind right now, crossed over with foreign actors. Now you've got foreign policy tied up with exactly what we're dealing with in this country, and they're manipulating and censoring people. They're carrying out foreign policy actions. I mean, this, this gets incredible. And we're talking about actually being able to arrest people because they say something that the government says is not true even as those exact kind of things are now fleshing out to be exactly what we said they were from two years before. You don't see how incredibly alarming this is. And we've been telling you this is coming and it's not very new. It's established a new domestic terrorism branch within the DHS. Right. Because we they weren't crimes before. No, they're just they're just continuing to bloat this disgusting bloated bureaucracy of government. We already have all sorts of groups and and factions and branches that are already arrest people for crimes that are already crimes. They just want a new branch that focuses specifically on you, America. You. Because you're the bad guys. You're the domestic terrorist because you disagree with the government. That's always been their focus. And this is within the DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis that dedicated to producing sound, timely intelligence needed to counter domestic terrorism-related threats. That's it. And they just told you what they consider that to be in the wheelhouse of conspiracy theory, misinformation, designated domestic violent extremism as a national priority area. National priority. Like, what about ISIS? No, no, no. We're focusing on you today. You're the bad guy, even though that was always the case. We screamed ISIS, and they turned in and looked at you with everything that happened after 9-11. $77 million being spent on preventing, preparing, and protecting against response to these. They're dumping your money into looking at you. It gets worse than that, but we'll come back to it. Because there's a lot more going on around this discussion, including Biden's executive order around the same topic that came out before. They said the same thing. They're building a framework here, guys. But we'll get to that. But keep this in your mind as we go through what we're talking about today, because this is how they will, if they need to, frame anybody who ends up being the resistance as terrorists, which is typically how that works, right? Freedom fighters. Anybody that's actually pushing back against the things they're trying to institute, like in Syria, in Bolivia, in Venezuela, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and I could keep going for the next 45 minutes, right? Every single one of them, they're like, oh, they're they're the bad guys, as they defend their liberty and country and sovereignty and on and on and on. And of course, that's in no way to suggest that those governments are capable and likely have committed exactly the same kind of crimes. That's not the question, though. The question is about whether or not the government of the United States is carrying out their honest actions they claim they are, and whether or not they're hypocritical for pretending that it's bad that they do it while well, they do it all around the world, right? These are valid questions that should be discussed. But talking about Canada first, we need to recognize that this is where it's all building, not just in the United States. As Slow Newsday points out, he's not just calling for a state of emergency. This is in Ottawa, literally a state of emergency based on the trucking protest. Truckers for Freedom, and by the way, don't forget, they're so afraid of this because this is blowing up around the world. And it's not just about truckers. That's just the sentiment they're using and this, to show solidarity, right? Just having some truckers or having a truck and just driving. And it's about protesting our freedoms, the rights to make our own decisions, not to say vaccines are all bad or to say that we should stop them from taking them, to simply say that I have a right to make my choice, period not political, not angry, not violent. And that's very clear by 99% of what you're seeing around the world right now. And that's why they're desperately afraid of it. That's exactly what they did with the yellow vests. They ignored it until they couldn't. And then they made it out to be bad stuff. It's just pathetic how obviously they're trying to undermine something that threatens them, which shows you a government that's insecure to a large degree, at least around this topic, but not just a state of emergency. Forced forced dispersal of a peaceful crowd exercising their right to assembly and protest. Now, of course, that's not how they're framing it, which is exactly why it matters when you allow the government to frame reality and then create law based on that framing. That's exactly what we're talking about around misinformation, right? Some, plenty of government, including in Canada, believe that these people are peacefully protesting. And they are, by the way, just because someone gets violent doesn't immediately mean that anywhere you look, trucking protests are without default violent. That's the ignorant framing like the media on government always do. So when we allow them to do that, they can then turn anything they want into whatever they want, which is always what they do. He's calling for full civil asset forfeiture for participation. So this is just like we talked. We, I haven't heard this discussion for a while. If you want to look up civil asset forfeiture in the T-Lab archives, man, I used to rail on this topic. Police would just pull people over and say, well, because it's we think you might be doing something bad, we're just going to seize all your assets. And then you have to go through the process of court and buy a hire a lawyer to maybe get some of it back. In the meantime, we're going to spend it on a new coffee machine and a new MRAP and whatever else we're going to use. That's not a joke, by the way. Testified in front of Congress, some of these police chiefs said they bought like snow cone machines, rocket launchers with the money they stole from people that were going to open churches. Verifiable cases, by the way, people driving across country that have like $20,000 in cash and have documentation in their car for the church they're going to buy. And the cops pull over and go, well, cash, you're bad taking it. Never got it back. I've talked about this so many times. So what they're saying here is what they're going to do is deem what they're doing illegal, even though that's not valid, because they don't. Have, there should be law and process, mandate, edict, just you say you're illegal now because we say so. Therefore, we're going to rob you. That's crime. That's mob activity. That's mafioso. That's what that is. Listen to what he has to say.
5: Today, I'm outlining three steps that I believe Doug Ford should be taking right now urgently. I think that we need to declare... A provincial state of emergency. This is how serious, and, and that's
4: on top of what's currently happening, mind you, right? So da- multiple emerge. Th- this is the this is the world where they're building a constant, forever, perpetual state of emergency in different ways. Of course, it'll fluctuate from this to that, and suddenly you got three of them simultaneously. As long as they have a state of emergency, they can do whatever they want. We are forever in a state of emergency in every way they want it to be.
5: the situation is. I'll call it protesters or the protest organizers to be on the hook for paying the policing costs that are mounting each and every single day. That prosecutors here in the province of Ontario would use every tool in their toolkit, every tool available to make sure that a strong message was being sent, including uh, the seizing or the forfeiture of property, including trucks. It's time for these occupiers to go home.
4: Wow. Like, what legal standing do you possibly think that you have? Like, this is exactly what's happening. Just because you arbitrarily decide that this doesn't work for you, so therefore it's now illegal because we say so, then then you can just rob them? Guys, I mean, this is literal crime. This is mob mentality. This, this, They are thugs. That's what they're doing because they say so, therefore law. That's exactly what we saw with that ridiculous CNN video. It's exactly what we saw with every other analogy and example we keep showing you. It is fact because they say so. It is intelligence like with the Ukraine discussion because he says it is. This is where we are. And it's absolutely crazy to me. But people are, I mean, I I think the truth is we are all seeing through it. Most of us. And that's why they're starting to get more aggressive. It's a cornered animal lashing out. You may think I'm wrong but it seems to make sense. Bottom line is the information's right in front of you. They're willing to steal your assets because you are doing what you are allowed to do, period. Pretty alarming. Now here's more information on this. There's a, on this topic, one more anyway. This is a corporal who was resigning from his position of a personal security for Justin Trudeau. Quote, I have drawn my line in the sand. No more silence and compliance from me. Now, I'm just going to include this for you to listen to. It's 10 minutes long, but it's just continuing to show that people, even at their inner circle, are beginning to recognize that there's this, we're in a really dangerous situation. And, the, and anybody that's not tied or hooked into this, whether through sexual blackmail or manipulation or threats or however else people are hooked in this or because they're part of it, are beginning to wake up to it because it's that obvious. It really is. And even those out there that are continuing to desperately cling on to the fact that we must be fake news are beginning to feel it too. Now, here is just a connection to that similar situation in Ottawa, but in New York City, right? All of these things are things that were, I mean, think about framing this just like we're seeing it, not hyperbolically, but just like we're seeing it back in 2019. I mean, can you even imagine what people would say? They would would think if you told them exactly what would happen, that you are the stupidest, craziest, most insane conspiracy theorist of all time. But here we are, all of it, every single thing, this exact situation, people in a movie theater being ushered out by 45 cops. Why? Because they were present without injections. It's just incredible that any of this stuff would happen. states of emergency forced quarantine. You know, how about in the beginning when they said, oh, they're never going to make you wear a mask. They're not going to force you to take an injection. They're not going to force you to stay home. They're going to lock you down. They're never, you, you dumb idiots. They're never going to do any of that. You're crazy. And every time one of those things happen, they go, well, of course, because it makes sense. Right after telling you you're crazy for saying what happened, vaccine passports that's in lunacy, that's conspiracy theory. Oh, here we are, and they're made now they make sense, right? Oh, nanotechnology, you guys are crazy. Oh, now it's the best thing for health on a dime. It's just incredible. But watch this this, this is happening in New York City right now, or not this was uh today, it was posted today, but I imagine this was very recently. don't you see that the mob don't you just love feeling like they're on the right side that's all this is about shame on you for what exactly for making your own decision for being you know even if you're wrong by the way for wanting to decide for yourself what your medical direction should be yeah what a terrible person it's only because they've been so completely manipulating the thinking that doing this is the virtuous thing that it's the right thing to do but yeah but the even the word the right thing or the right right or wrong right that's not as always le- it's not as simple as black and white it never is there's a lot more involved than that that they've decided and they get patted on the head by the authorities and say keep doing it you're the right one and they love it it's negativity this is vitriol this is this is not what we should be doing what you're looking at is the government and the media creating the divide between people Right? Just because somebody has a difference of opinion and does something different, that's not creating a divide. They're not shouting at you that you're the one. I mean, some people may be, but by and large, my point is that the media and the government are the ones creating the division as they frame it as anybody disagreeing with them are the ones creating the division. It's, 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 a, it's a ignorant sidestep that's easy to see, and if people choose to agree with it because it works for their narrative. Now, moving over to the HIV conversation, which is one of the things that are being ignored while we get this left-right paradigm battling I just saw this today, which I found very interesting. Now, we just talked about this yesterday. This isn't the important part. I saw this actually right before I was going live. This is a really interesting statement to me because of how this was presented. Now, to me, this shows a coordinated effort to put something out, let people assume, and then come back around. It's like, it's like they want you to go, oh, look at that, and then come back around and go, oh, nope, you're wrong. You know, They want you to hype, and then and they want to come back in and be like, but debunked. Here's why it's not true and then shut it down. But is it actually shut down, right? It's 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 a coordinated effort, in my opinion, to do this, whether or not this the person writing this or the outlet that did it is actually aware of that. Just my opinion, though. As you can see here, it says, an HIV variant recently discovered in the Netherlands has existed for decades, medical experts and fact-checkers say. It's like, okay, so why are they saying that? Because if you remember our coverage from yesterday, we just did this. We sh- It's in the article. And everyone that I saw where it says, and we reported this to you because as always we're accurate and dive into this deep and show you the main points in my opinion, that it says the experts have been finding that nothing to panic about, that this VB variant, HIV, supposedly an HIV variant has been around since the 1980s and has actually been declining since 2010. And then the question should have been, which none of them are asking, what changed? Why suddenly is this HIV thing that was totally not a worry because of treatment and whatever else is going on? And then, tw- and then 12 years later, Oh, suddenly a variant just out of nowhere because of what, right? It's certainly possible, but the whole point that when they get into it is lack of treatment or whatever else, how about the actual thing that changed? And this is what we'll get into, which caused the, which has plenty of reasons to suggest that this is happening, could have caused this, whether in HIV patients or in people that didn't have it at all that caused this in their body. The point, whether or not, either way you look at this is it's very clearly something that's from a long time ago. Same with the whole Neocov thing they pushed out. Well, it's actually 10 years old. So why'd we hype it? My point is, it says this multiple times in this article, that it's actually from 2000, or 1980, 1990s, 2010. It's been going, it's just been no problem, right? So then why does the Daily Mail frame it as a new super strain? Even as the article itself says, it's not new. You get my point? In no stretch of the imagination is it new. It's just suddenly dangerous, they say. So the real point should have been why that's happening, but they frame it as new anyway. I think that's intentional, right? My point is, we then look at this, see the headline, which is what they, that's how they view us, and then go, oh, new strain, HIV, and put all these pieces together, and they swing back around the next day and go, you're stupid, it's wrong, it have been here the whole time, even though that's literally what it says in the article. Most people I saw covering this didn't put, didn't discuss that part of it. Even though to me, that's the most important part. Why are they hyping something that's been there for this whole time? And what changed to make it suddenly dangerous? I think it's very obviously the injection in the mix that's causing things like the variants and causing things like the HIV discussion, which we're going to get into next. And here we all, this is what we just went over yesterday. Researchers warned some COVID vaccines could increase the risk of HIV. This is from 2020. As you can see, this is Forbes. I, I show these because they, you can see 2020 right there. They give you the paywall because that's what mainstream media does today. But some of these allow you to slip by. We're using the things like this. Ha ha ha. Now it says some of these vaccines currently in development could increase the risk of acquiring HIV, warned a bunch of researchers on the Lancet Medical Journal back in 2020 in October. Interesting. Now, they're not saying this one iteration that specifically uses an HIV insert in the injection. We'll go to that next. That one is a problem. No, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, as you can see here, that the vaccine, more than one, by the way, makes use of, uh, called an adenovirus 5, AD5, as a vector to transport some of HIV's genetic material into the body. Now it says, how exactly the vaccine increased the risks of HIV transmission is unknown. So realistically, we still don't even really have a wrap understand this now, the whole point getting into, and we're going to play a little clip from uh, Dr. Bailey in a second, That I've said this in the past shows, historically speaking, very valid experts and highly credentialed scientists, doctors have questioned the connection between HIV and AIDS about whether or not HIV was in fact what was causing AIDS. Remember, we're just talking about an autoimmunity deficiency disorder kind of scenario, right? The same thing we're seeing with in regard to uh, what's going on today after the injections, so isn't that such an obvious, interesting crossover? Why wouldn't we ask that question? Is it not possible? And this is what they were saying back then. That that's what was actually happening, and it was being framed as something else. It's very relevant to where we are now, especially from the side of this, where we're questioning what's happening. But it says, "But a conference convened by the NIH recommended against further use, specifically using 85 and his vector in HIV vaccines." Doctor Fauci himself was the lead author of the paper, as even other research points have said, including in this article. Saying, you know, why, it's somewhere in there, I read it the other day, why would you use this again? Like, why would you even discuss this and using, And we're talking about the, the adenovirus vaccines, Johnson & Johnson, it says them right here. Uh, where was it? Right here, including those from Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, right? Why would we use those, knowing that this was a problem from before, in places like South Africa? There's other experts that are saying that, which is rife with HIV. Why would we use something that's going to potentially cause what you admitted is a problem? And then why then would it not be a problem today? There's nothing that makes sense of that. That seems like a choice to me, does it not? Either way you look at it, we, they identified these problems from before. And they said, this is a problem. We shouldn't use it. And apparently they said we would they would stop it with HIV. Now, the point is that they these researchers in the Lancet were going, but, but there's a problem here with these ones here now with COVID. That's a risk. Now let's get into what they claim happened in that scenario, right? So here is, well, actually first here, this, and this is an interesting kind of string of, of, of information here. Now I want you to be skeptical, including of w- the way I see this going. Here is it. First of all, here is a, a, this account, which posted this about nine hours ago. I'm thinking they might've watched our show because it's like exactly the frame of, of thought here. Some COVID vaccines would increase risk of HIV posting the same, this is New York post version of it, but it's the same discussion back from 2020. And here's the, Daily Mail article from recently saying HIV super strain found in the Netherlands. New, of course, which it's not. Then he points to something more interesting. Actually, I just points down here to the Forbes article I was also looking at. But he pulls this clip out and says, here is an a, a excerpt from BBC. Now, before we get into whether that's really BBC or whatever else, just watch the clip. And then we'll get into ver- trying to verify where this clip actually came from. Now, I find this to be really interesting because that it says BBC and, and then we'll compare it with the BBC article uh, documentary that seems to be exactly like that. I think, uh, yeah, I think this is the clip.
5: It holds it together and it allows it to stay 100 percent in that structure that's present on the surface of the virus.
3: The shape of the coronavirus spike protein before the virus meets our cells is what triggers the most protective antibody response. So Keith must make the spike protein in the lab, locking it into exactly the same shape by adding another protein that acts a bit like a clamp. And that protein is a tiny fragment of HIV.
4: Hmm, well, that's interesting. Okay, so the first thing I thought was, okay, let's find this and make sure this is actually a video. Right, so because what that's clearly saying is that they added an HIV insert to the spike protein to be able to make this work for their situation. Okay, that is something that has been dismissed roundly. Except the problem is that that's actually been admitted to, but with a different injection, they claimed they stopped. Right. So the real question becomes: Well, first of all, doesn't we know that did happen? And we'll get into that. The argument is whether or not this is something that's currently being used or in you could be happening. So let's be clear about that. And we'll get into the breakdown of that back and forth. But I have an interesting question about whether this is actually the BBC documentary. And you'll see why. Okay. First of all, you can see it says BBC. So in my research, I'm trying to find this clip. I was able to discover this. Which very clearly is BBC. Very clearly is right here. And here's the interesting part about this. This is June 22nd, 2021. Right? And it says how the race for the COVID vaccine was won. Okay? So this would argue very clearly that they're not talking about these old injections, and how they made one with the HIV insert, and then later after this video was made, they then stopped its use, which we'll get into in a second. This seems to suggest to me they're discussing how the COVID vaccine was won, and it's very clearly posted in 2021, which would imply mRNA, not adenovirus. Now let's let, let's watch this one little part so you can see how it's obviously the same clip, or at the very least the same video, and you could argue that somebody just clipped this out, altered it, changed it, whatever, but you'll see what I mean. Watch.
3: The spike on these viruses is critical for vaccine scientists because its unique shape is key to the body's immune response. Pfizer first make a copy of the spike gene in the lab, made from a type of genetic code called mRNA, and then deliver this into the body in a protective bubble of fat or lipid.
4: Once inside, sub- oh, I love how they leave out the nanoparticle part of that, right? <laughs>
3: the bubble breaks down and the coronavirus spike is built triggering those all important antibodies. The attractiveness Okay, so
4: there that's obviously either the exact same video or somebody altered it, right? For so far. Now, my point would be first of all, we all I've done this a thousand times in regard to BBC and plenty of these outlets do this on a regular basis. They put these out maybe on the TV where they have this long documentary, but then they put out a six minute, let's be clear, this is not a six minute documentary, right? This is a break. This is part of, and I was unable to find the entire thing. Feel free to try to find it. I'd love that. I guarantee the title is different, but if you can, please send it to me. Now, the point is, it's obviously a BBC documentary. It's obviously on BBC and it's obviously the exact same scenario, right? I mean, we're looking at the same spike protein setup, the exact same situation. Watch it again. And
5: it allows it to
3: stay before the virus meets our cells is what triggers the most protective antibody rec- Keith, the spab, locking. Now,
4: clearly, that's the same spike protein setup, right? So it's obvious that someone either took the BBC documentary or this is the part of it that we just don't see. Now, to get into the second part of this, <clears throat> now, here is something I discovered that really kind of opened this up for why I think there's an um, an effort to manipulate and hide this fact-checking TikTok video on mixed COVID-19 vaccine candidate in Australia. Okay, this is posted, uh, where was the date in here? July 1st, 2021, right? So this is posted on June 22nd. This is posted on July, so this is right after that. Okay. Okay. So we've established this is definitely BBC, definitely that time frame. This is like days afterward. A TikTok video suggests that a COVID-19 vaccine candidate in Australia risked infecting people with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. Now, again, let's let's not forget that's literally what these researchers from The Lancet were openly saying in 2020, right? So jump forward into 2021, and apparently that's just ridiculous fake news already. Funny how quickly that happens, right? But it says in the video, a narrator talks about a vaccine that contained a protein that is a tiny fragment of HIV. Okay. Lab, locking it into
3: exactly the same shape by adding another protein that acts a bit like a clamp. And that protein is a tiny fragment of
4: HIV. Okay. So we're obviously talking about the same video. Okay. And as a person interview says, there's absolutely no risk from this type of vaccine and there is nothing that makes HIV replicate. Okay. The point is they're claiming one, that this is a, a, a specifically not a BBC documentary, specifically not a, uh, a, a vaccine that is currently being used. And, is, and they're talking about a candidate that's a denovirus that was already stopped in Australia. But verifiably, that's not the case. Even from this clip, we're talking about an mRNA injection. We're talking about 2021, and we're talking. I mean, it's not even remotely a canceled old injection from Australia that's not adenovirus. It's not even close. I mean, that's clear by this doc- this doc this part of it that's right on YouTube. So something's amiss here, right? It's strange to me. Now, the point is what they're trying to dismiss here is that this claim in the beginning, that these have a risk of infecting people with HIV. Now, how they debunk this, of course, is what they argument, their argument, and we'll get into that in a second, that they're saying, well, no, it doesn't infect you with HIV. It just gives you an HIV false positive. Well, okay, well, there's a lot to dissect in there or really just to break down on whether that's actually what's happening or just a self-serving argument. So I think it's pretty clear so far that we know for sure, because right now they're admitting in this, that this was a vaccine candidate that did have this situation. They're just claiming it's not the one that's currently there, right? Here's their, in short, an attempted COVID vaccine that contained a fragment of HIV protein was dropped because it led some false positives in HIV. Okay, they're admitting it happened. But now the question is whether or not that is something that went past it into mRNA, whether or not that was what they're discussing in this BBC documentary from 2021 in the mRNA injection, but they just cut it out of the documentary. A lot of these conversations are questions that we should be asking. Researchers said there was no possibility the vaccine caused HIV, and that's how they debunk it. But now we're at a point today where they're basically debunking this was ever a possibility, this whole HIV conversation, right? The whole idea that this idea that the actual spike protein itself, not the injection, but the actual whatever we're dealing with was itself manipulated with HIV, right? That, which we'll get into in a second, is what people have been saying from the beginning. So there's a lot more going on here. Now let's take a minute to watch. It's about 10 minutes, and I'm going to cut in every now and again to make a comment. I really want to watch this part, just the first part of this. She gets into cancer in the second part. I love, I love Dr. Sam Bailey. I <laughs> just like seriously would like to meet her in real life. But the point is, she's doing an outstanding job breaking this stuff down in a very endearing way and showing you that it's always been a problem. And I just I love that she is a highly credentialed person that is interestingly enough, sort of sort of sidestep the attacks that you might see for a lot of these other people. But take a listen to what she's saying. This is important stuff.
1: Hopefully the title of this video has got you more than a little curious and you're wondering how all of these things tie in together. There are many aspects to maintaining certain narratives in the medical industry and one of them seems to be using tests when it fits the dogma. For those of you that have read Virus Mania, you will be aware of the scandals surrounding the HIV AIDS dogma and in recent times we have seen something similar with the new PCR dogma.
4: Now, the, the point is she starts with a PCR discussion, uh, which you'll see is very relevant to leading into the conversation and points she makes about HIV and where we are now. But I'll make a couple points about the PCR test as she goes.
1: Why do institutions and establishment figures go after people for questioning the inconsistencies in the science, going as far as blocking their work or employment?
4: A great interview with Sam White. Dr. Sam White is on t interviewed by Taylor Hudak. I recommend you check it out.
1: Today, I'd like to highlight some more peculiarities, such as the abandoned COVID shot that made subjects test positive for HIV, more PCR problems, and why pathways to true health, including potential cancer-detecting tests, are being ignored. Of the Peter Doherty, who who is the director of the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity.
4: Professor Sharon Lewin
1: and was discussing the emerging corona crisis. The interviewer, Dr. Norman Swan, starts with the following.
2: The pace of the science in this outbreak has been extraordinary. The Chinese shared the genetic sequence reasonably early, allowing the genetic te- detection test, or PCR, to be developed around the world, making definitive diagnosis
6: much easier.
4: What, real quick, what's interesting about that, to me specifically, is that we've talked about that a lot, and even Fauci has discussed this, So it's very, and it's right on the Moderna website that two days, two days in early, early January, they sent this, the genetic sequence to the NIH. And two days later, they were already working and already finalized their injection. And, and, uh, and, and when that happened, verifiably so, according to the CDC from China, they had not isolated this. So the point is they were using a sequence from something that hadn't been isolated and, and still to this day, we're using an injection and a PCR test based on a sequence from something that had never been isolated. And to my point has never been verifiably isolated to this day, which I've always said doesn't mean it hasn't been. That's what it seems to suggest to me, but I've always argued that it doesn't, it could just mean that they're hiding that information from us for, for wh- because of whatever it shows us, for instance, that it could reveal that it was actually a bioweapon, right? So they would not want us to see what the results were or so on. Just to, just one of the caveats that I add to that. But as we've talked about coach postulates and plenty of other discussions, it's obvious that's the case, and here's the CDC in China admitting that. Now, whether or not they went on to do that, the point is when this sequence was sent, it had not been so isolated. And again, my point is I still don't think it has been.
6: And why has the data not been shared?
2: No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's as a issue. No, it's in the isolate as a virus. That's
4: as a issue. Important stuff. Back to this.
1: Well, I I don't know about that, but at least he goes on to ask Professor Lewin to clarify this.
2: First of all, my assumption there that the, the diagnosis is definitive using this genetic amplification test. Is it definitive?
4: And what's crazy to me, guys, is these are experts. You know how easy it is to look, and this isn't some fringe discussion. You could look this stuff up from plenty of valid experts that are telling you, like, this has purpose. It's always had a purpose and a use, but it's in no means even remotely definitive, especially when you're dealing with what we're dealing with today. It's just baffling to me. How do I know that? And this guy, does, I mean, it's just, it's incredible because they have tapped into what they believe is the right people to trust. And that's how they think intelligence works today, or that's my opinion. Otherwise, why wouldn't they just do their due diligence? And I'll, I'll show you afterward for those that are already going, he doesn't know, I'll prove it to you next.
6: They're pretty good, actually, when we look at for the genetic code or use something called PCR to diagnose an infection. Um, you can design the tools you use to detect the whole family of viruses or the specific Wuhan coronavirus that we're talking about. So they are pretty good, but every test is not perfect. Some tests um, diagnose a positive when you don't have the infection or miss an infection, so we... As it, with new tests, we take a while to understand how robust it really is. But generally, PCR-based tests are highly specific and pretty accurate. That's interesting. She says it takes a while to understand
1: how robust a test is, but with corona, they were rolled out straight away. And what does robust mean? I don't think any test should be introduced without knowing their positive and negative predictive values. Right. What is the test actually for? Professor Lewin mentions specificity, but is probably conflating the analytical specificity of the test for genetic sequences with the diagnostic specificity of the test for the condition called COVID-19. I talk about this in my video, Behind the PCR Cursion. Unfortunately, the interviewer doesn't press her on any of these vital points of the corona narrative. In any case today, we want to focus on what happens next.
2: I mean, it's revolutionised HIV diagnosis because you're able to detect tiny, tiny amounts of the virus in your body.
6: Actually, we don't use the PCR-based test oh, for diagnosis. No, we, we largely use antibody tests showing that your body's made a reaction, and that has an extremely high... When we look at testing, we look at two things, sensitivity and specificity. Sensitivity determines how many positives you identify when someone has it, and specificity says how often you might make a mistake or diagnose someone with it when you don't have the actual infection. So we use an antibody test, for diagnosis. So Dr. Swan seemed to assume that because the PCR was being used
1: around the world for the apparent diagnosis of coronavirus infections, it must be used to diagnose HIV infection. After all, we've been told that HIV infections have been circulating for decades. Now,
4: that's an interesting thing to, to focus in on. I'll take it back a second so you don't lose your point. If it's been circulating for decades, it's interesting that all of a sudden it just suddenly mutates into this extra dangerous thing. Now, that's certainly possible, but why don't we ask the obvious question? It seems to correlate with the COVID scenario, which they dismiss because it can't be even though it correlates. That the injection being given, that obviously what we're talking about here has some weird connection to HIV in general, or just as we know, very clearly leads to immune dysregulation, lymphocytopenia, which is by, seemingly very similar to what AIDS looks like in general. We sh- Shouldn't we ask that question, right? The connection here, you know, that, that it's the injection being given in the community that's creating some situation or creating it verbatim instead of saying that just naturally randomly happened. Why? Because of the unvaccinated somehow, right? That's actually how they're trying to frame this. These HIV patients didn't treat themselves. And so suddenly it exploded into a dangerous variant just like that. Yeah. 20 for 20 years. Nobody's done that till now. Come on guys. We can't be this childish, especially those people that out there that want to believe that they're telling you the truth. It's basic for those that were screaming. It's just common sense about the cloth mask that you now know don't work. Think about it in actual context here. It's just common sense.
1: Professor Lewin has just assured us that the PCR-based tests for the apparent diagnosis of coronavirus infections, it must be used to diagnose HIV infection. After all, we've been told that HIV infections have been circulating for decades. And Professor Lewin has just assured us that the PCR-based tests are highly specific and pretty accurate. Obviously, he got a bit of a surprise when he was mildly chided by the professor who said that no, the PCR is not suitable for the routine diagnosis for HIV. He's inadvertently stumbled on the double-think world of PCR and infection. Exactly. We use it and we don't use it. It all depends on what we want to see. In fact, this problem with PCR...
4: Now, that's a really important statement she just made right there. It all depends on what we want to see. Now, that what she's referring to is whoever's in control of where and how they're used, right? So, of course, when we want to have a situation like this, PCR is inserted when we don't well we don't use that now that may change right but I'll, you'll, you'll, I'll make a point one second but before we continue on I'll make, I think let me finish your thought here about you might know where I'm going with this that this is something that has been shown historically to create this exact situation right so that's the point they know it's a tool that can be used just like this and I think it is today it has
1: been long known about. A meta-analysis of available studies by 1996 stated in its conclusion, the PCR assay is not sufficiently accurate to be used for the diagnosis of HIV infection without confirmation.
4: Now, why would that be different for today? It's not. That's her point.
1: So perhaps we can forgive Dr. Swan for being confused that the PCR was reported as being accurate for the so-called novel coronavirus, but not for one that has been researched for decades. It was a shame he didn't press the professor on why this PCR application for apparent viruses seemed to be rather inconsistent. In fact, he could have probed further to try and elucidate any historical examples of alleged epidemics where PCR was found to be reliable.
4: Any at all whatsoever. Somebody please take her up on that challenge. You'll find out quite quickly these things are not even remotely what they've sold them to you as.
1: Now, for the second part of the story, we go to March 2020. Now, before we get into
4: this, I want to make this point about what she's saying there, right? That it's simply used how, however they want to apply it, right? It depends on what they want to find. Paraphrasing. As she said something slightly different, but it still makes the same point, right? Well, first of all, this is the same PCR test that we just discussed, the one that's right now being rolled back in real time in the media, right? This is what Mark Dolan just said on, on gb news, a major new study confirms that PCR tests are horribly inaccurate. Now, there is a surprise. Well, not even remotely, but as I said, yeah, now there's a surprise, says only those who have blindly followed the edicts of health authoritarians. And had they been paying attention to independent media you know, or just thinking at all, they would have known this in 2020, because we did, and the evidence is there. And again, as I said the other day, somebody just coined, quoted on, on Twitter, which I like, the only thing that's changed here is the narrative. The data has always been there. That's important. So it's incredible that we are watching this rollback right now, but still they're using this as the linchpin for their manipulation. Here is a point to bear with me for those that haven't seen this. I'll go through it quick. This is important for those that have not seen this yet. And it's on the way back machine because this thing is constantly being removed. Faith, Faith, it's a New York Times article from January, January 2007. Faith in a quick test leads to epidemic that wasn't. Can you guess what test that was? As it reads, this is the story of the epidemic that wasn't. For months, nearly everyone involved thought the medical center had had a huge whooping cough outbreak, also called pertussis, with effective extensive ramifications. Nearly 1,000 healthcare workers at the hospital in New Hampshire were given a preliminary test, furloughed from work until their results were in. 142 people, including the doctor herself, were told they appeared to have the disease. Thousands were given antibiotics and vaccines for protection. Hospital beds were taken out of commission, including some in intensive care. Sound familiar? Then, eight months later, eight months, that's half of COVID so far, give or take, healthcare workers were dumbfounded to receive an email message from the administration of the hospital informing them that the entire thing was a false alarm. The whole thing, all the injections and the lockdowns and the quarantine, everything they did, false alarm. Now, those things did happen to a small degree in these contexts where people were, you know, told they were sick and they weren't allowed to come in and people were put in intensive care and hospitals and antibiotics. It all happened. Not a single, not one case of whooping cough was confirmed with the definitive test growing the bacterium, Bordella pertussis whooping cough in the laboratory, which is not what we're doing today. Instead, it appears the healthcare workers probably were afflicted with ordinary respiratory diseases like the common cold or the flu, or whatever else they want to reframe using this test. See where this is going? Or accidentally, you could put it that way too. Now, as they look back on the episode, epidemiologists and infectious disease specialists say the problem was that they placed too much faith in a quick and highly sensitive molecular test that led them astray. Spoiler alert, it was the PCR test. Back when they were still using the acronym, even polymerase chain reaction, it was new. Dartmouth, the decision was to use the PCR test they put too much faith in this test and that's what the doctors are saying created this false illusion of an epidemic she said the suit that pseudo epidemics happen all the time apparently isn't that funny that's not this the opposite we're hearing from our government and the medical establishment and fauci they would say it never happens back then they were able to say it apparently it happens all the time apparently the dart and dartmouth the dartmouth case may have been one of the largest but the doctors telling you by no means an exception it happens Quote, she says, it's a problem. We know it's a problem, Dr. Pearl said. My guess is that what happened to Dartmouth is going to become more common. Well, damn it, Dr. Pearl, you're pretty damn right. Almost prescient. And I I, I mean, I doubt she knew that would happen. But it says at Dartmouth, the decision was to use the PCR test. Yet epidemiologists say one of the most troubling aspects of this pseudo epidemic, and this is so relevant, Is that at all, the decisions seem so sensible at the time. And this speaks to all the people and the doctors that are just following orders. Guys, they think you're out of your mind because they have been taught to follow orders. And the the instructions seem sensible. Well, they said they're sick. They've got symptoms. Who cares if it's the flu we're following orders? Says that is how we ended up with 134 suspected cases using a PCR test. She added, that's why 1,445 healthcare workers ended up taking antibiotics, 4,524 healthcare workers at the hospital, or 72% of all the healthcare workers there were given injections for whooping cough in a matter of days. Quote, if we had stopped there, thinking right now, where we are right now, if we had stopped, I think we all would have agreed that we had had an outbreak of pertussis and that we had controlled it. That is what your government is taking from this. Well, all we have to do, in my opinion, is use this test. Use this test in the exact same way they accidentally discovered here in 2007. Error on the side of it. Make sure we use over 40 cycle threshold in the COVID side of it. Make sure we use 28 and below on the side of the injection. So we create the illusion, right? And of course, what we do is we end it by going, well, we fixed it, right? We gave them the thing, solved it all, and we don't dig into the PCR test and we'll never look back. Until the next time we use it, again, to create an illusion. I don't. That's my opinion. However you want to see this, recognize, guys, that this is exactly what happened before, even if you want to believe it was by accident. Using the PCR test, everything seemed logical, and every single thing that's happening now happened then, just like this. I don't know why we can't stand back and ask, could it be happening now? Even by accident, if that's the way you want to perceive it. Doesn't that show you how, what a bad way we're in if we're not even allowed to have that conversation? Back to her.
1: When the University of Queensland, PCR was found to be reliable. Now, for the second part of the story, we go to March, too, rather inconsistent. In fact, he could have probed further to try and elucidate any historical examples of alleged epidemics where PCR was found to be reliable. Now for the second part of the story, we go to March 2020, when the University of Queensland, Australia, was awarded millions of dollars to help cut the timeline for an effective vaccine for COVID-19 by six
3: months.
4: Longest trial safety effort of all time ever for every vaccine. Yeah, and we slashed Operation Warp Speed in half and (laughs) longest ever. God, it's just so ridiculous how people will buy whatever they say. Right, it's only longest it ever because we researched these different things for 20 years before that, and then rapidly rushed this out very quickly. It's the safety trial, is the only thing that matters, guys. The safety trial that was exponent was incredibly shorter than everything and ever been done before, average about 24 months. This was rapidly pushed out just because they worked on things up until 20 years before and and failed over and over and over and over before that doesn't then suddenly make that part of the time frame. If you believe that, I don't I don't know what to tell you.
1: By August 2020 they were confident that large-scale production of their experimental product was just around the corner. They reported that in hamster models the vaccine provided protection against virus replication and reduced lung inflammation following exposure to the virus. Mm, virus. But then a few months later they hit a snag with their phase one clinical trials when the human volunteers were found to produce HIV antibodies after receiving
4: the shot. Now, this is where they frame it as false positives. Now, she runs with this in her argument. I don't think she takes this as face value, necessarily. You could take, you can come to your own conclusions about that. But they frame it as false positives. So my argument would be, were they actually false positives?
1: Well, earlier, you'll remember that Professor Lewin advised that because PCR was unreliable for HIV detection... We needed to use a more sensitive and specific test such as HIV antibodies. But these guys worked out how to produce the antibodies without any HIV. And it was reported that it was unclear how long participants would continue to return false positive results. Apparently, Dr Andrew Nash, the brains behind the Australian-made COVID-19 vaccine, knew they were taking a gamble when they decided to use harmless HIV fragments in their project.
4: <laughs> harmless. In fact,
1: it generated HIV antibodies in all 168 trial participants who didn't receive the placebo.
4: That's incredible. Uh, every single one of them had... Come on. that First of all, and what she's going to make her point here next, first of all, that shows you that they basically, if that's the case, and I don't think it is, and that's why they didn't use it, created an, an, an injection... In every single person that takes it, creates antibodies for HIV. I mean, that's a miracle. I don't think that's what happened. In regard to how they would frame what they needed before, which was an HIV injection that they failed to make before. Seemingly, this was a miracle, right? I don't think that's what happened. I think these people actually got sick and actually had something going on in their body. And I think we're watching this play out today in the real world and not just this grouping, but a lot of other places as well. But continue following your logic here because it's really interesting to see how they framed this.
1: However, in the same article, Professor Paul Young stated, we didn't anticipate that we would have the problem that we subsequently encountered. For many of us that have investigated HIV, this is where the mainstream theories get rather inconsistent. Listen to the reason that infectious diseases physician Paul Griffin gave for abandoning the COVID shot in April 2021.
4: So so what the issue was is that one of the proteins included in that vaccine uh, caused false positive tests for HIV and yes. while for a large portion of the population that's uh, of little concern there's also a significant part of the population that need regular testing for various reasons and if we can't exclude HIV in those people then that actually has big problems.
5: So
1: for most people having these vaccine generated HIV antibodies is not a problem but for certain people who apparently need regular testing it is a problem. Well just so
4: we're clear too and she's I mean she's not saying it's not create and this is the really important point here if you're creating and this is why they probably stopped it if this is what happened if you're creating antibodies for something that you're not dealing with that's not safe that's exactly what dr Ryan, that's I, mean, I can just play that really quickly that opening part of it Because this is an important thing to understand. This is where antibody dependent enhancement comes into play.
5: We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. We've seen this in in cat coronavirus vaccines where cats ended up with this horrible inflammation swelling of the stomach and about 30% of the cats died. So we know once you prime somebody with an antibody and that antibody is good, great. But if you prime them with an antibody that is not good, sit back and pull out the popcorn because we're going to be seeing something horrific happening immunologically to a population down the road. Right.
4: It, it's just basic. And they know this. That's why I have played this clip. with. There's
5: another
0: element to safety. And that
4: is if you vaccinate someone and they
0: make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way You'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer
4: who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. In your body is what he's talking about, right? And then once they find it, which we are, right, which we continually are being shown, they just pretend it's not there, right? And that's the, that's the frustrating part, right? Is that we can have this study I've shown you a thousand times from December 2020 that tells you verbatim. The specific and significant risk of antibody-dependent enhancement should have been and should now be prominently independently disclosed to people taking these injections. 2020, peer-reviewed March 2021, right? So he tells you that's where we're going to find out once we put it in your body and we can research your body. And then when we start to see it and when the studies actually find it, they call you conspiracy theorists. right, as he says in the chat, I'm baffled. Right. It's ridiculous. It's that ridiculous. It's obvious. And they tell you it's there. Then when you point out that it's happening and show the peer reviewed science, they go, you're dumb and crazy. It's just it's ridiculous. Food, HIV in those people, then that actually has big problems.
1: So for most people, having these vaccine generated HIV antibodies is not a problem. But for certain people who apparently need regular testing, it is a problem. It raises another question about whether these 168 volunteers who produced HIV antibodies now meet the Australian Department of Health's case definition for HIV, especially as it has been reported that the antibodies were persistently positive. I guess we may never know as there's not many specifics that have been released to the public And they probably don't want to add to the large database of HIV inconsistencies. Right. And so now
4: my point again is that did these people actually end up with with a basically AIDS? I mean, that's a valid question, especially since you're telling us that they met this definition, you know, met the definition of literally having it based on the way they described it. But that they actually continue to show this positivity right? And then who knows what's going on. This is all in the context of COVID-19. Don't forget that, right? This is being tested and this is happening during what they're telling you is a pandemic. So then a month later, when they start to have this massive problem, they just go COVID, right? It's that simple. And we've watched it happen. I'm not saying I know that's what happened in every single case, but I'm saying that's an obvious rational possibility based on what we've already seen happen. You could even argue that it wasn't intentional, that somebody just looks at them, gives them a PCR test with a false positive and says, you have COVID, And they don't. In fact, they have an autoimmune, an autoimmunity disorder, just like everything else we're talking about. It's 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 irrational questions that should be posed that are being refused to be asked by the mainstream.
1: We know that if anyone has a positive HIV antibody test, they cannot donate blood. So if any of the volunteers are watching, please get in touch with me and let me know if you are still allowed to donate blood we can see that arbitrary definitions regarding HIV have been going on for years. In 1990, the CDC commissioned a report titled Methods of Surveillance for HIV Infection at US Sentinel Hospitals. Here they state that all patients are eligible except those with lymphadenopathy, fever, endocarditis, pneumonia, diarrhea, weight loss, thrush, drug overdose, drug addiction, alcoholism, hepatitis, gastritis, gunshot wounds, psychiatric conditions, headache, any cancer or mass bleeding disorders, any skin disease, any sexually transmitted disease, organ transplant, and renal dialysis.
4: <laughs> just cancer alone takes off like six, 66% of the population. I mean, that's just her point is she's going to say next. That's, that's intentionally whittling down your group to how exactly you want it to be. That's most of America they just listed off right there, or most of the world for that matter.
1: Now we need to add abandoned COVID shot recipients to the list. I mean, what is going on here? This kind of selection bias clearly makes the HIV antibodies appear much more specific than they actually are. Yep. Maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but I wonder if the abandoned COVID shot has added another problem for the HIV establishment. My suspicion is that the generation of the HIV antibodies was an embarrassing surprise to them as up to that point they were very excited about their vaccine. And now that they have worked out how to generate these antibodies, shouldn't this be an important development for the HIV vaccine that has been promised for decades? Right. According to the mainstream theory, when someone gets HIV, the antibodies are generated too late as the virus has already invaded the cells but the University of Queensland team showed that they could generate the antibodies in healthy volunteers. Professor Lewin informs us that the antibodies tell us that the body has made a reaction to HIV. We'll wait to see how this one is classified in the official archives. To continue the theme of HIV popping up in potentially troublesome places for the HIV AIDS establishment, we now move to the area of cancer.
5: Right. Okay. I
4: was making sure that was the end of it. Now, th- this is a really interesting part. Now, the rest of it's very interesting. I, the, I recommend you follow her work. She does a great job. What's interesting, though, is think about what she's describing right here. And first, I and mean, this is my point is not to suggest that I, I trust this injection or anything they're making remotely but simply that they have been promising, as she pointed out, an HIV. By the way, they've been working on the mRNA platform to make HIV and other injections and failed repeatedly up until now, right? So here they are apparently backwards stumbling into a miracle, as they would frame it, or or rather as they would want, if this was done before COVID, would have been framed like that. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Who knows? The point is, based on their narrative, creating an injection that creates antibodies for HIV should be a miracle in the context of their discussion. No problem. No, no, have to get them sick. Don't, don't have to have anybody's happen late. As she discussed, if you just naturally get it, the point is it should be the hue, they just discovered the HIV vaccine, but that's not what happened. They removed it. They quietly shuttled it away and they, you know why? Because COVID-19 was the end game. That's the only thing that seemed to matter. And it was, and, or whether it was just money or whatever else you drop something that you've been telling people you needed forever. Or maybe it's because there was something that was needed in the context of HIV. and it's just, There's a lot of topics to put out there. But the bottom line is, none of this adds up with anything they've ever been talking about and clearly doesn't make sense in the context of where we are now. As she just made very clear, the, 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 hypocr- the hypocrisy of their narratives, whether HIV or COVID-19, is just overwhelming. So discussing this again from the beginning and realizing that this is a disc- very clearly something that did happen whether it was discontinued or not is the question or whether it was something that in even just when it was used in these trials has then created a problem that has continued to snowball and we're now seeing it explode these are questions we should be asking my point in showing you this was simply to show you this is this is clearly part of this documentary that says BBC that was posted here in the context of mRNA and Pfizer and yet they but yet this is discussing the HIV clamp And here they are pointing it to saying from something from before and specifically from Australia, but that's not what that just pointed to. So something's amiss here. There's something happening. And I, you know, ultimately, as always, I'll leave it to you to make your own decisions about, but clearly what we should be concerned about is what it's creating and their lack of informing us in this regard. Now, I talked about this yesterday in my, in my show entitled COVID vaccine, HIV connection, the booster time bomb, Canadian government tyrants and debunking CNN's debunk go check it out for yourself if you want to see the more in-depth discussion about these articles and the history behind it but i think it's very obvious with things like this to finish this segment that there's something going on here whether it's with the potential bioweapon itself or with the inje- or the injection that is creating the situation however you want to look at it this kind of scientific research which you should look at regardless of whether they withdrew it because it is is important with people like Luke Montaigne saying it's obvious, with other people saying yes, it's a no-brainer to see this and look at it and say tell that it was manipulated. The point here with this study is that these are being pulled by editorial teams. Regardless of who pulled this, dive into it and look at the research for yourself and walk away realizing that there's nothing invalid about what they're finding. They just did it was inconvenient and then realize when this was pulled back in 2020 think of how much has now changed since then. Or think about everything else that we just discussed. Think about Forbes talking about this, saying, look, this could actually increase the risk of HIV infection. Or the fact that they're admitting that, yes, this did have HIV inserts in these injections. And the point being is that why would that not make sense or be valid question when you're talking about making this the same as what the natural very or natural isolate or whatever natural strain is? The whole argument is to make the spike protein in the injection the same so it actually works. So adding the HIV insert to the spike protein in the injection would seem to suggest that it needs to be there so it works for the same thing in the wild that has an HIV insert. Just a little logic from my mind, but here we go. Here's what it says. From 2020, we found four insertions in the spike glycoprotein, which are unique to the 2019 to, to, to SARS-CoV-2 and are not present in other coronaviruses. Importantly, amino acid residues in all the four inserts have identity or similarity to those in the HIV-1 or HIV-1 different to very HIV variants. The finding of four unique inserts in the COVID-19 in COVID-19 all of which have identity similarity to amino acid sub- residues in key structural proteins of HIV is unlikely to be fortuitous in nature. And that's why they pulled that can't can't have a logical conclusion based on the obvious information. Can't have that. And and then also realize that they then from there suddenly started allowing the conversation about a lab leak. Right. So now this has been removed because of their unwillingness to allow that conversation. Now it's been allowed and plenty of people on all sides are going. That seems like the most likely reality. And here we are with this article still removed, despite how valid it is, that's how that works. The point is there's plenty of evidence to suggest there's something amiss with the whatever's circulating or whatever's in this injection and why we're now seeing this weird explosion of what they're saying is HIV super strains. My point from before is, is it a super strain of HIV or is it an injection being circulated that's causing a immunodeficiency disorder or a immune suppression or whatever we're talking about that's being framed that way? Or... Is it HIV people in the world that are getting infected with this or get, or excuse me, getting the injection and causing the dysregulation of the immune system for a person that already has a serious problem with their immune system. And then that creates massive variant explosion. Just like we saw, there's a lot of possibilities, but none of the valid logical ones are being discussed in the mainstream. They're just citing narrative and telling you to run with it. That's how this works. Sort of like we're seeing with natural immunity, right? That now we can talk about it, right? Now you can. Go ahead. We give you permission to talk about the thing that we've always known is there. The Hill reports, the CDC is finally recognizing, in quotes, natural immunity. Legislators should follow suit. Unbelievable. I mean, even even the Hill article is interesting in a lot of ways. Now, the only reason I say it like that is because I think that they're pointing it out, which many aren't. But nonetheless, the Hill, in my opinion, is playing a very important role in this by acting like they are, in my opinion, fighting or pulling out what they're doing. But then at the same time, towing the line. And this is where we get into the shell game, the sleight of hand. As the Hill makes a very honest, of course, well, now we can just prove our natural immunity. And then we're good. We win, don't we? Yeah, that's them towing this line. The CDC is finally recognizing, and they put it, why put it in quotes? What in the world are we doing here? This is, this, this is the most class, this, and by the way, even in their article, they point to how that is what even injection technology is based on the, and trying to emulate, which means they never, it's not as good. Natural immunity is always, 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 always better. The only argument that they used to make as well, because the risks, you get sick and you could get sick and could have problems. So therefore take this injection. That's not dangerous, but except that's never really been the case. And it's very clearly not the case today, but now they've just turned it on its head and said, well, no, these are better. What is natural immunity? Do they even exist? And people buy that. God knows why. Now, again, it says they finally acknowledge the strong protection provided from immunity after SARS-CoV-2 infection, and they listed they write so-called natural, immunity. so-called. I like, mean, that's 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 the hills framing. Interesting, despite how they frame it later down. I just think that's interesting to me. This is probably refresh while we're going, and we've told, we've shown you this before. This is a, a Mother Jones article from May 12, twenty twenty. This this was this. I mean, this for me will go down in infamy. This is the most of all of them, the most ridiculous anti-vaxxers have a dangerous theory called natural immunity. Now it's going mainstream, says Kira Butler. Ridiculous. I mean, laugh out loud. Go hide in a closet. Ridiculous like you are ridiculous. How in the world do you think you, and this is supposedly a health writer. <laughs> Good God. But going back to this, it says the authors explain that before the emergence of the Delta variant of SARS-CoV-2, recent vaccination was more protective against new infections and naturally. No, not true. We've debunked that 10 times over, but they're just desperate to keep you going forward. So we don't look back. All they want you to think is Omicron changed everything. No, they already came out and admitted that Delta stopped working. Transmission wasn't working with Delta. They're just hoping you kind of don't remember that. But it says, however, after Delta became prevalent, natural immunity was more protective against infection than vaccination. So for those out there that are bleeding that we're ridiculous, take a moment and absorb what they're telling you, that even the CDC is now saying, even though they pretend it's only in the current context, which it's not, they're telling you natural immunity is better than getting the injection in the context of Omicron right now, or even from Delta after Delta became prevalent, natural immunity was more protective against infection than vaccination. Now, you should know that by now because of what we keep seeing in all the reports that are giving you honest breakdowns in regard to the cases, at the very least. It's exploding. In the United States, it was something like 70% of the cases were in the fully injected. and They just claim, well, their, their severity is low. Well, I disagree with that, but even if that is true, that's still a pandemic of the injected as they continue to spread it more than anybody, which is what is creating the, the mute, the variants, as they claim. Simply the transmission. Not just by unvaccinated people, it's just transmitting it. And who's transmitting the most according to their narrative right now in the data? The fully injected. And the boosted, by the way. In Scotland, even with the triple booster, they still have a higher risk per 100000 they do for the one or no shot. But they hide that from you. Now, it goes on to say, during the Delta wave of COVID... The incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection among those with enhanced immunity, meaning they have injections and prior infection, was 32.5-fold three, lower in California. Lower. How does that even remotely line up with what the CDC has been screaming about? They're telling you that if you had natural immunity, then you got the injection, you suddenly had a 30-plus lower Immunity than if you just had natural, why in the world would you put, you'd be, you're you pushing that on people, knowing that it's going to hurt them in, Cal, in, in California or rather in New York, a night, almost a 20 fold lower. Whereas rates among those vaccinated alone were only 6.2 fold lower. Every single category is lower in regard to people that, uh, that, that basically natural immunity versus Delta, then going into Omicron. The point is, we've shown you this many times, guys, in regard to. Uh, did I, oh, that's weird. Oh, there it is. It just played through. I'll play it in a second. But where he tells you that, and i actually, I'm actually this time going to get in. Oh, I forgot to highlight this. I'll try and read through it. I have the actual studies coming from Dr. Bauer that back up exactly what he's saying here, even though he's tried to walk it back, that these things remove or lower your antibodies almost instantly. Right. That's why what we're looking at is showing you that this thing doesn't work. Now we're in Omicron where they're telling you it's all completely changed and it's gotten even more obvious. Going forward, it says the report finally acknowledges what many have suspected for a long time. Now, the hill trying to kind of lump into that crowd. And no, you haven't. No, you haven't. You've been towing the line like everybody else. Up until you suddenly started being allowed to roll back the narrative that surviving COVID-19 provides excellent natural immunity, not only repeat infection, but also to hospitalization and death for the Delta variant of COVID-19. And also now for Omicron, which we've already shown you. We're going to go over again in a second. The pattern of improved protection after natural infection makes sense. They say, Well, thank you, the Hill, for allowing us to think what we always have known. It always has. Yep. That's how immunity against infection works. So why were you confused about this like 30 seconds ago? Why was this, so why were we fake news in 2021 and before in 2020? And why is that? It's frustrating to watch these mainstream or quasi-independents pretend like they suddenly discovered the reality. The COVID-19 vaccines were developed to mimic a natural infection based on the original virus that was identified in 2019, what biologists call the wild type strain of SARS-CoV-2, which by the way, is exactly why these things aren't working because that's not even circulating right now. They're according to their narrative, little Delta, mostly Omicron which they tell you is super mutated. And the point is, if you continue to make things to this original, we just talked about the antibodies you're producing. And if they're not the right ones, it's hurting your body. And we also know that if you take an injection based on the original strain and confront Delta or other variants of concern, what does it do? It also leads to antibody dependent enhancement. We'll come back to this. All these things are there. All this has been there the whole time. The pattern of improved protection, it says that that's why, or uh, worry, we? the vaccines, especially the commonest mRNA-based ones, I don't know why in the world that would be the common, they're trying to make that seem normal, it's not, use the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, the protein that acts as a key to enter cells and cause infection by blocking that entry with vaccine-induced antibodies, pre- infection is prevented. But see, this is a very overly simplified reality about what immunity actually is. Antibodies are only one part of this, and that's the only part that they claim the injection does, and it's not even producing the right kind. So it's hurting you, guys. In contrast, during an infec- a, a- natural infection, the human body is exposed to all parts of the virus, including the spike protein. When the immune system responds to enable recovery from the infection, it is broader and more diverse with a greater ability to defend against any future variants. That's the important part. Now, had you watched our show, as most of you have been, you would have known this in the beginning of 2021. Therefore, while mutations naturally form in the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein through the process of viral evolution, which means anybody transmitting this is anybody else catching it, not just one form of that. The targeted vaccine-based approach to attack the spike protein, while still effective, I disagree, is not as robust as the the arm, uh, arm uh, what is that? armamentarium created from surviving a true infection. The most effective in combination with vaccination. That's blatantly untrue. Right, So they're trying to play both games here, make it seem like, well, this can work for you. I'll make sure I didn't read that incorrectly at the last part. So he's saying that the targeted vaccine-based approach to attack the spike protein, while still effective, is not as robust as, as the armamentarium created from surviving a true infection and most effective in combination. Now, see, that's not true. It's not most effective in combination with the injection. It's just not. That's the problem is we're seeing things like this where people have, or even the other discussion we've shown where they people have immunity and they take the injection and it hurts their body. That's uh, this one here, even. Cleveland study says there's no point in vaccinating those who've had COVID-19. There's a lot of us out there that just don't care about. What is clear, they say, from the new CDC report over all periods is this. The worst group to be in is the non-vaccinated group without prior COVID. Now, that, I aggressively disagree with that, The data right now is undeniably showing you that uninjected people with no natural immunity, or rather you could argue that they would and they wouldn't. The point is simply uninjected is exponentially safer than people with one dose, with two doses, and in regard to cases right now, even with their risk, three doses as well. But I argue it's across the board as we're going to see this flesh out. So the point is the data shows you the opposite of that, but all they're trying to play is this game where they somehow include the injection in that, but it says that group is the most likely to be infected. The non, but see, that's not true. Like this is the, I guess we literally just went over this. I mean, let's just, let's just show you the last one. Uh, I guess we'll just go to this. Oh, this isn't a, Uh, I mean, it, it lets, let's hear this. will be easier. Not to find it as fast, but this this will be the UK data. It's the same point. I'm probably going to do this tomorrow again, but we'll just go just going to the breakdown in the UK case breakdown for the risk per 100,000. It's even worse in the UK in this in Scotland, but you can see these. Oh, look, they changed these. How, let me see, how do they even get away with that? These are different than when last time I looked at them. And this is the same report, hasn't updated. They're altering things in real time. I'm telling you, we keep catching this, but look, 5,000 to 2,000, right? This is and this is. Not injected versus three doses. That's what they're trying to scream. You have to get Biden says 97%. So say, clearly you are the people spreading this, even with three doses. The cases is all we're pointing at right here. So when they're telling you the Hill, the worst group to be in is the non-vaccinated group without that's literally provably not true. The most the likely to most to be infected right now is the, is people with injections in their body. And if also at risk for severe disease. People that are immunocompromised and so on—they're most likely to die from an infection. I, again, the injection's changing all of that. Therefore, if you're in this group, please get vaccinated. They say, "See, it's it's this is a manipulative article, in my opinion. Vaccination is superior to natural infection, even after what they just said. They're arguing because, and here is the same argument: the risks of death or severe long-term symptoms are astronomically lower. Seriously, I don't buy their argument here." or anything they're trying to tow right now to act like they're fighting back against the narrative. You know why? Because it takes 10 seconds to find out that right now there is no long-term safety data. Right here in the biotech and everyone else, long-term safety data as of end of 2021, the long-term safety data of these vaccines is unknown at present, unknown. Okay, the hill. So then how can you argue that the severe long-term problems are lower that you don't even know, you don't know? Because you're just towing the line. That's what people do in the mainstream. One limitation of the CDC study was that we must await new data and research to see if there are differences in immunity due to vaccination or prior infections during this current period of highly infectious Omicron variant of SARS-CoV-2. It's going to get worse. Um, Natural immunity is even better. We have observed that those vaccinated while not protected from infection, which is the whole point, are much less likely to be hospitalized. That's simply not true. The majority of the people in ICU and pretty much every place we look right now are people that are fully injected. Similarly, those who have a previous infection and remain unvaccinated are also highly protected against serious Omicron disease. That is true. You have lasting, durable, robust immunity for variants of concern going forward. Given now that CDC recognizes the protective effect of prior infection, even though it's absurd to pretend that they suddenly do, even though they've always known this, it is time to update vaccination policies, they say. Here's the point and school or at work entry requirements across federal and state county governments. And here's the the get or the, the what's the term, the, the, the take, or what's the, I don't know, you can just say, here's the catch. Those with natural immunity should have equal status as those vaccinated. You see, how about the fact that we shouldn't have to be vying for status? How about the fact that you get the hell out of my life and I don't have to prove anything to you? The idea that we're supposed to prove to you that we're not sick is crazy. This is the sick until proven healthy. This was always a game. They This has been. This is driving people to think we just won by allowing us to prove that we're not sick to them. Problem, reaction, solution. Demonstrating a prior infection is no more difficult than demonstrating vaccination. Right, so take a test. You have a passport. You can scan your QR code that says, nope, I've got natural immunity and I have to test every two weeks to make sure it's still there. That's crazy. Many European countries recognize that immunity due to prior infection is equals vaccination. Right, but except they make you test to prove it, which should be the last thing we allow. Not exempting those with prior infection was unfair. Now it's unscientific as well. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, MD. It's always been unscientific had you cared to look. Here we are. Now, here is one of the articles I did, and this was, I was talking about this in 2020, by the way, August 29, 2021. This is one of the compilations, the complete breakdown of science, mainstream media, and the COVID narrative on the topic of natural immunity. So somehow I was that far ahead of the expert journalists at The Hill and everywhere else, right? No, it's obvious this is very clear to see. They just had to look. They just didn't care to look until they were told they were allowed to look. That's my opinion. But let's quickly dance through this. And let's look at all the things The Hill and everyone else apparently were unable to find. This is the beginning of 2021, January, right? We're talking over a year ago. The NIH themselves, lasting immunity found after COVID-19. It's weird that Fauci doesn't know that that's there. He must be really, really bad at his job or a really, really obvious liar, right? Here's the WHO, natural, natural immunity, COVID-19, which, by the way, replaced their passport page within four weeks following infection, up to 99% of people with infected SARS-CoV-2 virus developed detectable antibodies. By the way, it goes on to talk about not just antibodies, but memory B and T cells and everything else, which is actual full immunity. Right, sterilizing immunity, mucosal immunity—all this is happening. The injection, not even close. And we've proven this. Here's JCI Insights back in May, a March 2021, telling you that even the people that were uninfected, the a majority of adults that never even had COVID, were somehow showing pre-existing antibody re- reactivity as well as memory B and T cells. Now, how could that be? Either they were sick with it in 2019 when it was circulating, and we weren't told about it, and it was covered up by flu or vaping illness or whatever else, or There's plenty of examples of SARS or cold or other things causing antibodies that they pretend isn't there. That's why they don't want to look at it until now they want you to be like, now you can prove your natural immunity after we've gotten the injection to most people, right? Well, here is science telling you again, back in August, 2021, having SARS-CoV-2 once confers much greater immunity than a vaccine. Whoops. Here is nature saying had COVID-19 in May 26th, 2021, probably make antibodies for a lifetime. Bone marrow rest of your life. Here's another one. May 24 2021. SARS-CoV-2 infection induces long-lived bone marrow. That's just a study that was talked about in this Nature article. Here is science, or actually this is, uh, oh, it's just a post referencing one of these articles. Here's the study right there for you to check out. Same thing. COVID antibodies remain stable or even increase seven months after infection. That's just where they end of the study. They keep going. Here's one of the most important ones. Longitudinal analysis shows durable and broad immune memory, After infection of SARS-CoV-2 with persisting antibody responses, memory B, and T cells, you will not find anything like that about the injection. Peer-reviewed, solid, won't be talked about. Here's the Lancet. This is one of the most important ones because this is how they play the game. Well, it depends on how severe you get it. Nope, doesn't, not even close. June 1st, 2021, SARS-CoV-2 elicits robust adaptive immune responses regardless of disease severity. All these are peer-reviewed. Here is nature, again, pointing out the same thing JCI Insights was in a different way, saying SARS-CoV-2, July 15th, 2020. SARS-CoV-2 specific T-cell immunity in people that got COVID-19, and then also just people that got SARS from before. And then what do you know? It turns out we randomly discovered that people in the uninfected control group also have T-cell immunity. So now we have examples of a majority of uninfected adults having antibody reactivity, And then over here in the nature study, we have people that were just in the control group that were supposed to have anything that just turned out to have T cell immunity on top of majority having antibody immunity, which, what does that show you in 2020 of July before these injections, that this was already something that was happening and they never want us to find this out because it ruined their narrative. And they ignored this and are hurting people right now because of it. Natural immunity after COVID found durable and robust on and on and on. Here's the Lancet again. Protective immunity after recovery from SARS-CoV-2. It's it's amazing that they just, I guess they just missed all of these, right? The Hill, CDC, the media, I guess they just missed it in their extensive due diligence, right? This has been ongoing and you guys have seen me do this a hundred times. November 8th, 2021. As it says right here, this is the one line that's important. All this is important, but just to make it quick, in a study conducted, they said, uh, oh, right here. Those who had previously been infected had a COVID-19 incidence rate of zero per 100 people. Zero. So that means people that previously got infected, according to the Lancet, in this study, had no chance of getting reinfected. That sure challenges the narrative, doesn't it? Here's a preprint from June 29, 2020. Robust T-cell immunity in convalescent individuals with asymptomatic or mild COVID-19. That backs up what the Lancet was saying. Here's another one published 22nd of December, 2021. And this is, this brings us into the Omicron discussion. Children develop robust and sustained cross-reactive spike specific immune responses to SARS-CoV-2 infection. It's, a, it's talking Omicron and you can dive into the study. And what it tells you is that not just children, but people in general are showing to make Omicron antibodies, even if they got sick back in 2020 which, by the way, is backed up by plenty of other studies, and we'll get there in a second. December 22nd, prolonged activation of nasal immune cell populations and development of tissue resident SARS-CoV-2-specific CD8 T cell responses following COVID-19. It just keeps going, guys. Peer-reviewed after peer-reviewed after huge journal after huge journal. But I guess they just missed all of it, right? I mean, do you realize how incredibly stupid this is, that we're able to just rattle this stuff off a thousand times from going back in the middle of 2020 all the way to now? And we're being censored for this. Here's a great compilation, Swiss policy research, the power of natural immunity. I'll include that for you to check out. But here's the one that I think is one of the most important. Most important. This one came out August 13th, 2021, right? All this time ago, ultra potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2 variants. This should have been the hugest, most important news. that should have been trumpeted across the media if they actually cared about informing you and, and telling you good news. But they didn't, because this at the time, they weren't allowed to even admit natural immunity existed, so they couldn't talk about this, and I doubt they would have anyway. Here's the conclusion. Our study demonstrates, and this is peer-reviewed, that convalescent subjects previously infected with ancestral variants of the original SARS-CoV-2, back in the beginning, produce antibodies that cross-neutralize emerging virus of concern with high potency. You do That's slam dunk. And it's continuing to show to do that again when you point to the ones that are relevant to Omicron. Right now. Here we are, ignoring all of this. And the point was, you dive into this, it shows you that there's danger. to act. So this after realizing natural immunity is obviously the best possible thing for you, especially knowing that the vast, vast, vast majority of the population are at no risk, dramatically less risk than the flu. Children under 19, according to Oxford Calculator, are at one in a million chance of dying. Right, So this is very clearly something that most, most people don't even need to worry about then you're injecting everybody everywhere which most of them have probably have natural immunity according to even the CDC's estimate and that's where this comes in where not only is it doesn't seem to make any difference to them it's been shown repeatedly to hurt them hurt them right so you you're basically creating antibodies for the original strain which again don't forget is what these are based on still even the mRNA 1273 that's just approved apparently for everybody is still as this is that that's what this document is from mainly based on the initial Wuhan isolate, meaning that you're making antibodies for something that's not currently there, which means you're hurting yourself, or let's be clear, you're potentially creating a situation that could lead to antibody-dependent enhancement. Because what are they saying? Delta and Omicron, right? So here you are, taking an injection, or infection-enhancing SARS antibodies that recognize both this original strain and Delta create the situation that causes antibody-dependent enhancement. One of the many That they admitted to and don't want to look at now. So you're injecting people that have all of this and you're causing the problem. It's pretty obvious. Then you can add on this part of the conversation about him telling you that the injections are lowering your antibodies. This is directly from Dr. Bauer in regard from the Daily Mail in regard to the Pfizer injection. That's, oh, I think, hold on, I think I muted the actual page here. Hold on. Yeah, that's why. There we go. The key message from our finding is that we found that
5: recipients of the Pfizer vaccine, those who've had two doses, have about five to six fold lower amounts of neutralizing antibodies. Now, these are the sort of gold standard private security uh, antibodies of your immune system, which block the virus from getting into your cells in the first place.
4: Right. That's pretty damn clear. Now, before we even play the next one, well, I might as well. It's short, as you guys have seen all these before.
5: And
1: your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus. But the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients.
4: Now, here's an important argument to make. So, Somebody says in the chat that no evidence that antibodies against them exist. Now, That's a fair argument because we can argue that, I, like I've said, that I don't, I've never seen evidence that it has been isolated. So therefore, why would we be able to prove that there's antibodies? But that's not the point to what we're getting into, right? That's a valid statement for sure. To say that that then dismisses the logic we're putting out there is not how you should look at this, right? What we're discussing here is their narrative, as always. So you could argue that there's no such thing, so therefore this whole thing's dumb. Or you could take a second and ask yourself, what's actually happening? Yes, the whole argument of SARS-CoV-2, I mean, that's undermined in a lot of ways. Danny Rancourt would argue that's not even what's that's literally a compilation of other problems they're using to hide this from you. You're using it to hide the, the reality from you. Is it not possible that they're producing antibodies for something, right? That there's something like made this HIV, something going on that's cr- producing something in your body, right? Well, that, that's the point. So again, not even the context of SARS-CoV-2, but in the context of the injection and what they're giving you. So let's get away from the, what it, the COVID-19, whatever, just what they're giving you something that's creating some kind of response in your body. That's really the ultimate point. And what they're saying here is this actually removes things from your body that are necessary. That's the way we should take this arguing from within their narrative, right? That's how this needs to be seen. As I know most of you guys know that, but this is important because not only, and by the way, that red cross, I lost so much work the other day on that exact topic that I was going to rehash and I'm going to get back to it. It's going to have to rebuild it over the next couple of days because it's coming back up again, where they're going, we need convalescent plasma. And it's it's interesting to see how this is being removed and highlighted. They told you before that you couldn't do that. And I wonder what changed now, right? But going back to this, this is Dr. Bauer telling you that this is people that take the Pfizer injection produce fewer antibodies. That's as clear as day, which by the way is backed up by the science we keep showing you that shows the reduction immediately. In fact, I think if I've had that up, I'll just grab that because it's an important one to show the, uh, looks like I don't. Oh, there I do. Okay, good. You know, the breakdown, this is the Pfizer breakdown in regard to Omicron. And and this, again, like verifiably shows, even ignoring what they don't want you to see at the bottom, which is relevant, obviously, but it shows you this breakdown immediately collapses after day, one day from one to 30, it's 55 relative risk reduction, then goes 16 to 9% relative risk reduction, which is like 0.00 something actual risk reduction. It's ridiculous. That's real world evidence proving what he is saying. That the, once you get the injection, you then go on to produce less. Now that's especially when you have natural immunity, which is what that other clip was saying that you take the injection and it removes the antibodies from your blood. And they're trying to hide from this conversation, but check this out. This is all the way back from June 3rd, 2021, right? This post is from, uh, it looks like April 6th, 2021. And yeah, this is in the UK. So that would be April 6th as opposed to the reverse in some places in the world. But here is his post saying significant loss of antibody neutralization versus live variant. So he, I mean, there's no, it's funny that he's tried to come around and argue that that's not what he meant and that conspiracy theorists are taking them out of context as we already did a debunking on that. But how do you explain that? When here's his tweet right here that's literally saying all we're saying that you have a significant loss of the antibodies that you need by taking the injection they swear up and down will save you. That will create the things that they are actually removing from your body. I mean, I find that absolutely ridiculous. Here is the study he's pointing to. I had this highlighted before. Let me just quickly look through it. It says to determine vaccine-induced, yeah, neutralizing anybody escape and compare activity to previous strains with existing estimates for population-based efficacy, we carried out initial analysis of the legacy study established in January, 2021 by uh, University College London Hospital, track serological responses and vaccination uh, prospectively, a detailed description of methods. Shoot. What's interesting, by the way, the efficacy of the currently licensed COVID vaccine against this is unknown, which is funny. Although it possesses 12 mutations in a spike protein relative to the wild type first detected, it says it lacks mutations in amino acid positions commonly associated with variants of concern. Or I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they're calling out why this is a problem and it's weird that we're pretending this like looking back at it. They're not, they're ignoring all this stuff now. Now, there's one more part that I know I had highlighted in here, but it's okay. The point was, just read through this for yourself. It backs up exactly what we're finding and what he's saying right here. Two doses of the injection. And again, that's the important part that he's making sure you see, that it's specifically tailored against the wild-type spike antibodies. That's it. They all know this, and that's why they're trying to keep it from you as they rush something else out, is it's making antibodies that you don't need right now. The natural, the neutralizing antibody activity against all the strains, including three variants of concerns, were tested, in except in all except six and nine of the 159 participants who lacked neutralizing antibody activity against the very things that, that we're talking about, respectively. And it says that the neutralizing antibodies, uh, as well as these, as however, yeah, right here, right. This is this is the part that he's saying in that clip. Neutralizing antibodies were 5.8 fold reduced against. That exactly the exactly the, specifically the injection variation we're talking about relative to wild type, significantly more reduced against the B117, or excuse me, we're talking about not the injection, but rather the variant, excuse me, I was thinking of the BNT. So what we're talking about there specifically is the variant of this, which I believe that one's Delta. I don't have it. Okay, let's do this real quick. So I don't misinform you guys. Uh, this one is Delta. So the point is what they're saying right here. Oh, no, that wouldn't that doesn't make sense. Just, yeah, no, that, that's right. June 3rd, 2021. So the point here is what they're pointing out. I lost my place. Is that people that took this injection had almost a six-fold decrease in antibodies against what was happening, even against the wild type. The original. So how does it even remotely sound like something that makes sense? So then I ask, it's obvious that Bauer was put to trying to kind of block back these claims too bad, your own posts and the science make it very clear of what you're actually talking about. Now, that natural immunity discussion is just so absurd to me as we're watching them pretend like now nah, we can talk talk about it, but it's a, it's a sleight of hand, guys. Don't fall for this. The Hill is playing their role. It's about getting you to feel comfortable by proving that you're healthy, which is just an authoritarian. These are tyrants that are using your health to control you. Now, moving this over into one more part of the illusion that they're now kind of admitting to, just like we're talking about natural immunity, which is so embarrassing to watch as they play this game, right? Here's Lena Wen again, changing the narrative again by arguing that something changed. Isn't it amazing? Here's what she says. The science has changed, explains Lena Wen, and why she supports lifting pandemic restrictions all of a sudden, despite her being one of the most aggressive about keeping them and thinks the decision to wear a mask should shift. From a government mandate to your choice. So not just cloth, but all of them now, apparently. Isn't that funny? These are the people that were screaming that you were the worst person alive for not wearing a mask. And she also alters the narrative a little bit. Take a listen.
0: With a move. Do you agree with the
3: move? I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Okay. Also, the science has changed. We know that.
4: No, that's not true. That she is. I mean, I've always known that she was playing her role for this manipulation. But this kind of point makes it seem to me very clear. She She's well aware the science hasn't changed. There's no, there's not any, all the new science have been observational points or expert testimony. That's it. They're observational flash in the pan kind of studies that CDC dumps out in this ridiculous time frame. None of that is even remotely up to par in the random controlled trials that have been done long before this. And even some of them during this, like in the Danish study, it's a slam dunk. It's undeniable. And now they're admitting it. Oh, well, the science has changed. Nope. It really hasn't. And that's what I said here. The body of scientific research, peer-reviewed and otherwise, has been there from day one and long before. All that changes the narrative. The data has always been there. They just censored anyone pointing that out. That's how incredible this is.
3: And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. She literally
4: just said that um, that vaccines protect very well against Omicron. Like, I think she's forgetting her talking points. Like, not even they're saying that. Right now, they're all they're saying, well, it reduces your hospitalization and death. But clearly, it's Omicron's exploding across the injected category right now. Exploding. That's why they're trying to roll this back and hide everything and then just, I guess, just shift into being like, oh, everyone's got strokes and heart attacks. That's just commonplace. No, it's not. Not at all.
3: Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one-way masking, the idea that even if other people around you are not wearing masks, if you wear a high-quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too.
4: Oh, so now you're just completely altering your entire logic standpoint? Got it. Why? Because you state there's new things that you don't get to point out that aren't really there, right? It's absurd to pretend that it's all shifted away from protecting your grandma to now just worrying about yourself. Because understand, they're talking about N95s, which I guess they forgot only work one way, which is why I guess they now need to shift the narrative, because now the science backs up why it only matters to protect yourself. Really? That's because they jumped in with the N95 conversation. And that only works one way. It opens up when you blow out and it blocks when you breathe in. And then on top of that, it's still statistically insignificant in reducing transmission because the N95 or the M3M page about all these, DuPont, any of them, will state it right there on the site. It does not have this effect based on the size, the micron size and everything else we've shown you. It is provable that this does not work, including the peer-reviewed science, even from the CDC, right up until we got here. It says, say it with me again. It is not statistically significant in reducing transmission. End of story. And now they're even going, well, yeah, no, that has changed. Science changed. No, it hasn't. The people that want to believe this will believe it and will go forward forever. Well, they will always say that everything changed because they said so. And we're dumb because we didn't know that. Because it makes them feel good about their choices. I'm realizing I'm forgetting to put TLAB pirate posts in these tweets. I'll, I'll keep, I will remember that. Please keep it going, guys, because I'm seeing a lot of people starting to make their TLAB, you know, their vagabond pirate accounts. I love it. Let's ex- let's overwhelm their platforms with all this Facebook and whatever else. But as you well know, we've been destroying this face mask com- conversation from the very beginning, not because we were guessing, but because we were pointing to peer-reviewed science. And here's my search, just in general, you know, just masks. Some of the older ones are the more important ones, to be quite honest, because I haven't talked about it in a while, but there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff here that you can research. Now, to wrap up this last segment, or before we jump into the final points, it's interesting to see the kind of thing that they're screaming at you, and they still are, by the way. This is also Forbes. I'll, I'll show you when I'm done. Remember when they told you this? You must not do your own research when it comes to science. Hmm. Well, wouldn't these conversations seem to suggest otherwise, right? Because we're right here. And you're right here. And we're right in this conversation. And you're right in this conversation. Now, we didn't listen to what they told us. In fact, we heard them say the opposite. And we go, well, I'm going to look for myself. And we researched the data. We researched the peer-reviewed science. They said you were crazy. They said you were dumb. They attacked you. They tried to delete you. They censored you. And now they go, oh, but this is correct, in fact. Because it changed. But it didn't. So when you look back on this and realize that what they don't want you to do is your own research because they want you to only see it once they allow you to talk about it. That's what they mean. When it comes to science, they want you to blindly trust what they tell you the science is. That's the takeaway. It's always been this way, guys. And here's this, as you can see, their paywall, Forbes, just so you can see it. <laughs> it's right there. Now, f- uh, last one, just to kind of add to that same point. This is an article from 2020, I believe. Here, let me just look real quick. Yeah, for, no, November 22nd, 2021. And it says. Surprise, surprise. Well, Pfizer's... Why is that in the way? There it goes. Stuff like that bothers me. (laughs) Pfizer's COVID-19 shot offers 100% long-term protection for young teens. Wow. Talk about something that didn't age well, right? Wow. Go ahead and get that. 100% long-term for teens. Wow. Trial data shows. Yeah, this is a lesson in completely not trusting anything the government or these companies have to tell you. Because one, they could be wrong. Two, they could be lying. Three, they could just be completely, I mean, I don't know, you could add, you could add on any variation of how they're playing these games when you look at the Pfizer tracker of how they have continued to lie about safety results and adverse events and on and on and on and on. Pfizer tells you, which right away should have been like, well, that's dumb because nothing's hundred percent long-term protection. How do they possibly know that if none of the studies went long-term as we keep trying to show you that they don't have the long-term data because they don't know. They don't know. It's not there yet. They're willing to lie to you at Forbes and go, we know because Pfizer said, and finally for young teens. Great protection, except they're the ones exploding with myocarditis that we now find out and they're now admitting to. But yeah, that one from 2021, they sure 100% for all of them. Bottom line is, guys, you damn well better start doing your own research because they're misinforming you constantly when it comes to science. Pretty clear. Now, what they're doing to try to stop people like us from getting the truth out there around their lies is calling you a terrorist. This was yesterday, February 7th. DHS issues National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin, which again, as I said before, is, is uh, generally pretty frequent. They put these things out when they want to update it. As Whitney Webb pointed out in the past, they're directing this at you now. It's always ever really been about pa- outside threats and so on. Well, now it's about you. The whole focus is about do internal threats. And that's always been the focus, but they're just now making it clear. Today, Secretary of Homeland Security... Issues a National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin regarding the continued heightened threat environment across the United States. Right. Well, that's, I think, the real threat we all feel right now is from the government. And that's why this is being framed like this, because they right now feel that we are a threat to them. That's the whole point of this. And they always have felt that way. Don't forget the Pentagon documentation that got leaked like 10 years ago, where it showed their fu- the future of warfare was internal. They framed it that way. That's how they were fr- the, doing their training and everything else. We've talked about this many times. And the heightened threat has been a constant since 9-11. Quote, DHS remains committed to proactively sharing timely information and intelligence about the evolving threat environment with the American public. Hmm. Secretary Alejandro N. Mejoras. Interesting use of terminology there, right? Now, he could have said DHS remains committed to proactively sharing timely information and intelligence about the evolving threat environment within this country okay, or, or, you know, or the evolving threat environment for the American public, right? That might make sense, but let me read it again and listen to what he's saying. DHS, Department of Homeland Security, remains committed to proactively sharing timely information and intelligence about the evolving threat environment with the American public. Now, you could take that how you want to me. That sounds pretty damn clear that he's telling you you're the threat. The evolving threat environment with you. Like, you're the American public, right? So remove American public and put you. Intelligence about the evolving threat environment with the with you. It's not about you or threaten, threat for you. It's the the threat environment with you. That's pretty damn clear to me. And it shouldn't be that hard to see when they're framing this entire thing about domestic terrorism. Then let's go into what they call domestic terrorism. The United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors. Okay, what are those factors? Online environment filled with false or misleading narratives, they say. Conspiracy theories, they say, and other forms of mis, dis, and mal information. Again, I laughed about this in the beginning. MDM is a new acronym, apparently. MDM is your new fake news acronym. Introduced and or applied by, amplified by, foreign and domestic threat actors. In that one sentence, they tie it all together. Conspiracy theories, false narratives, of course, draw thoughts to people in the mainstream, to the COVID narrative, Right. Medical threats, vaccines, and right, Republican, far-right, white supremacist, conspiracy theorists. That's the whole ridiculous one-sided narrative. That's what that draws minds at. That's what they want you to think about. Then, of course, amplified by foreign actors. Well, there you go. That could be Russia. That could be Iran. That could be whatever they want it to be, which all ties right back in with their argument of vanilla ISIS working with the Republicans on the white supremacist side. Interesting how this all falls into place, right? I've been telling you about this from the very beginning, and it's not hard to see. This is just the biosecurity state taking over the foreign, the the, the previous security state, where you had a very clear foreign policy focus, which we still do, but now they've recognized you as the threat to their agenda. That's why this is turning. It says, while the conditions underlying the heightened threat landscape have not significantly changed over the last year, the convergence of the following factors has increased the volatility, unpredictability, and complexity of the threat environment. So basically saying, well, it's always been there. You guys have always been a threat, but here's what's changed this. The proliferation of false or misleading narratives, right? We all know where this is going, which they claim so discord and undermine public trust in U.S. government. Again, the framing that we should trust, trust the government. And if we don't, it's only because we don't understand or because we're being misinformed. How about the fact that the idea of trusting the government is inherently contradictory to the foundational concepts of this country? They tell you that. Here is. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, let's see. See if I can grab it just like that. Let's see. Does that's strange. I'm interested. I can't believe I didn't pop up with that. Hold on one second. I've I've read this quote a lot, and this really applies to the people that want to defend their president and not question any, you know, question only the other people's things. Uh, Let's see. There we go. Got it. So you can see it, but this is a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Not to necessarily say anything about support for him or whatever else. The point is the quote is accurate. It says, to announce that there must be no criticism of the president, or you can take this however you want, no criticism of the party or the government or however you want to look at it. To announce there must be no criticism of the president or that we must stand by the president, right or wrong, is not only unpatriotic and servile, but it is morally treasonable to the American people. That you, See, that's that used to be how we framed freedom. Today, they're framing freedom as your ability to blindly trust the government. And if you think otherwise, then you're a terrorist. Right. It's amazing how much has changed, isn't it? Or really amazing amazing how much the narrative has shifted, at the very least. But what they're telling you right there, where were we right here, is that you, your misleading narratives, which again, we've already shown you natural immunity, masks, anything else, myocarditis, all these things we've been censored for that have later turned out to be true, which they would have called false narratives then, and they still do for the most part, claiming that truth that we showed you is sowing discord and undermining public trust in the government. They desperately need you to blindly trust them continued calls for and again think about the ukraine discussion we just had it's clear that they're so just baffled by why you don't trust them blindly continued calls for violence number two directed at u.s critical infrastructure now where exactly is that coming from like I, i mean realistically i'm not seeing any form of like continued serious calls from anybody within this country going we should attack the water plants or the or the electric infrastructure like that's ridiculous At the very least you could argue that they're claiming foreign actors are doing that i don't see any evidence of that if if not no, no more than the us government actively attacking all the rest of theirs but it says soft targets and mass gatherings faith based institutions churches synagogues mosques institutions of higher education racial and religious minorities government facilities and personnel including law enforcement and the military the media perceived ideological opponents ah and it finally becomes clear they're just glumping in anything they want and making a protected class of anybody in power or control or whatever, right? You anybody anywhere that's take, they just basically lump together anything—churches, mosques, I and mean, the whole synagogue conversation from this—the the anti-Semitic conversation, which is obviously a way that they hide very clear serious issues. When I call out the overt crimes of the Israeli government, they cry anti-Semitism. Except all I'm saying is you just murdered civilians on the ground in Syria. But yeah, but I'm anti semite somehow, which is ridiculous. Or talking about the media. So we, so what we now we can't literally point out that they're doing like what. Let's put it, let's make it very clear. They're framing it as continued calls for violence. But you see, that's not what's happening. Yeah, are, do people threaten them? Sure. You could even argue that they have valid reason to. That's not what I'm saying. But people would make that argument. I don't think we should ever threaten violence. I think that's just weak in general. But the point is that they would frame it that way. Remember the mask debate, the very suspicious one where Clay Travis showed up and the whole thing. But the point is, even though he does local, just weird how that exploded into a national conversation. And his arguments were the impetus for the argument of why people are violent. Let's not forget that, but people standing out there saying, Basically, that you guys are stealing our children's lives, or that we're not going to let this stand, or we're going to protest outside your homes. They frame that as direct violence, you see? So when they do something horrible to you, and then you protest, just like we're seeing with the truckers, just like we're seeing with Canada, they're framing them as violent. Then they could use this bill right here in front of you to arrest you because of what you state, or what you believe, or who you support. Or simply by calling out the media. Or law enforcement, or perceived ideological opponents. Number three, calls by foreign terrorist organizations for attacks in the United States. <laughs> like, I, I mean, real. I mean, where is that? I'm not trying to pretend that doesn't happen, but uh, where are like? They're making this sound like it's such a serious issue. We have made an entirely new bill to focus on. It's all these things are extra. It's about you. It's about the first part of this and about your supposed proliferation of false and misleading narratives. That's all this is about, guys. Are, I mean, where exactly are you seeing the any Iran, Syria, anybody going, we're going to attack the United States because of it? Nobody's doing that. They may frame it that way. I'm not even suggesting it won't, that they're not thinking that or planning it or whatever else. I'm just saying it's not happening the way that they're stating it is. Under the Biden-Harris administration, DHS is prioritizing combating all forms of terrorism and targeted violence, including through its efforts to support the first ever national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. Yeah, that's their whole focus, guys, you. Since January 2021, DHS has taken several steps in this regard, and here's what they're doing. Established a new domestic terrorism branch within the DHS. Again, this is the bloated bureaucracy we're talking about. Why in the world do we need a new branch? As I said before, everything they're talking about, or rather, let's put it this way, anything that's already a crime is the only thing that really should matter, because just by adding new context to crimes, this is like, for instance... Years ago, there was a bill that we tried to pass about making lynching a crime. That, that is a completely emotionally driven political manipulation. It's already a crime to kill somebody. It's already a crime to act in violence against somebody. It's already a crime to, do, to threaten violence against somebody. So why in the world do we need some ridiculously focused bill that says just lynching is also illegal? Well, it already is. It's because they want to make this a political point and say, see, we're fighting for you about the black versus white issue and all that. That's all it is. Not to suggest that I'm pretending that lynching is okay. Like anybody would even take that from what I just said is ridiculous. It's that they're playing you against each other. And this is what this is about, guys. We don't need a new domestic terrorism branch. You already have law enforcement. You already have FBI. You already have all sorts of things that are... Their very purpose is to investigate and fight and suss out crime, whether domestic or otherwise. Or in the case of FBI, domestic specifically. All this is, is focusing this. Adding more resources. Taking money out of your pocket. Dedicated to what? Producing sound, timely intelligence needed to counter, specifically, domestic terrorism-related threats. That's, according to them this show launched for launched the center for prevention programs and partnerships to provide communities with resources and tools to help prevent individuals from radicalizing to violence that is just basic propaganda social engineering and predictive programming we are going to brainwash you Right? We're going to set up these platforms and these situations and centers where you can come in and learn how to think the right way. That sounds weirdly like we're talking about in other places of the world, doesn't it? Designated domestic violent extremism as a national priority area. They've now designated you as a threat as a national priority. For the first time, apparently, resulting in at least $77 million being spent on preventing, preparing for, and protecting against whatever they claim that threat is. You know how much $77 million, you know how much that could do for people right now struggling in this country? <laughs> $1,000 could change people's lives right now, and they're pulling $77 million from your pocket to to investigate you and spy on you, and hopefully, or not, and, and alarmingly do a lot more, provided it says $180 million in funding to support target hardening and other physical security enhancements to nonprofit organizations at high risk terrorist attack through DHS's nonprofit security grant program. So great. So almost 200 million more dollars to increase the security of nonprofit organizations. You mean like your regime change outlets? Great. Increased efforts to identify and evaluate MDM. Oh, don't forget what that is. They're hoping you did by now, by not looking back. It's misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. So they're increasing efforts to identify and evaluate. People like us, because that's how they're framing this, including false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories spread on social media and other online platforms that endorse violence. So you see, that's just a quick little last point. They are claiming what we're doing endorses violence, whether we say it or not, whether we overtly go out of our way to suggest that violence is never the answer. They don't care what we say. They go wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's what he really means. Which is, by the way, exactly what this lady was saying in regard to the 9-11 hearing. Remember that when Whitney and I talked about this? Basically telling you, these people, this 9-11 threat that we've never seen building is created by a bunch of people that are not breaking the law. They've learned how to do the wrong thing that we don't like legally. So basically you're saying they're not doing anything wrong, but we don't like what they're doing. So she's arguing we need to change their rights so we can actually go after them. Let me tell the beginning of this. I don't think it's that long. The world is changing, and every counterterrorism professional I speak to in the federal government and overseas feels like we are at the doorstep of another 9-11, maybe not something that catastrophic in terms of the visual or the um, uh, the numbers, but that we can see it building, and we don't quite know how to, how to stop it. Right. So that's just a small clip. We've played that before, but the point is she discusses in there that, well, they're not really breaking the law. They just know how to work around it. Well, you could say it like that, or you could acknowledge that they're not breaking the law. Therefore, there's no reason we should be looking at them just because you don't like what they're saying or how they're doing it, right? And this is what they're doing right now. They're using all this to alter and change the reality of what we believe our rights are. And they're using the argument of how you can mislead, even as we're watching the narratives they claim were fake news, pan out to be exactly what we told you they would be. Oh, and don't forget, enhanced collaboration with public and private sectors like the World Economic Forum and all the other public-private partnerships which are literally becoming your government, including U.S. critical infrastructure owners and operators to better protect and cybersecurity. Oh, there's Cyber 9-11 and everything else coming your way. DHS also has renewed its commitment to ensure that all efforts to combat domestic violent extremism which is what they're framing us as, are conducted in ways consistent with privacy, protection, civil rights, and liberties. And I love how they just throw that at the end, right? As we destroy your rights, we we claim to be looking at them. Don't worry, we're looking at those things. Don't worry, we're we're conducting this in ways that are consistent with these things as those things are antithesis to what we're talking about. Like you're literally destroying civil liberties and spying on people without their right. But, but we consider your rights while we do it. Thanks, guys. It's <laughs> just, just, just no to. Yeah, go ahead. We're, we're going to pretend we care about your rights while we destroy your rights. That's what that means. Unreal. Well, if you want to look deeper on this and realize that, you know, in, in Biden's actual national security strategy for countering domestic terrorism in June, they also point this out. These efforts speak to a broader priority enhancing faith in government, not, not trust. Now it's faith in government, not just trust, but blind faith. That's not an accident, guys. They need you to take them as fact, no matter what they say. Like with Matt Lee and that guy, right? Like, Matt, I just told you the evidence. I just said it. No, you just stated things. You didn't give evidence. You said words. And he goes, yeah. You want me to print the print out for you? So in his mind, stating words is evidence if the government does it. Sort of like you've heard the government say in the past, right? I think Nixon said that it's not wrong if the government, if the president does it. Right. That's never changed. They just don't say that anymore. Enhancing faith in government. That should have never been stated. The last thing we should ever do is trust or have faith in the government. We should be criticizing and holding them accountable. It's the only way you keep a free state. And addressing the extreme polarization, they say, fueled by a crisis of disinformation and misinformation, I guess they added malinformation, whatever that is, often channeled through social media platforms, which can tear Americans apart and lead some to violence. As my point from before, What's actually doing that? Those people that went to see a movie with no vaccination status, they got drug out and violence, they screamed and chanted, shame on you! Or is it the people that are radicalized towards aggressive action simply because somebody chose to do something different than them? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear which one is the radicalization here, but, you know, to each their own, I guess, as they drive this into your brain. But don't forget, we just talked about this yesterday. The UK is doing the same thing. Now, web giants face fraud and hate in their new online safety bill. And they're framing it just the same way, right? Attacking hate crimes, smuggling people, fraud, revenge porn, and of course, flagging people that are attacking government. And three new offenses internet trolls that says threatening to kill MPs and celebrities. Guys, it, all of it comes down to this spreading COVID 19 disinformation would also be covered under a crime of sending false communication. Like an afterthought. That's the whole thing. My point before, guys. Every other thing in this bill is already a crime, except that they're including that. Like that's a side thought. No, that's the whole point. They're criminalizing speech and they're also turning in certain speech into direct claims of violence. It's always been building. It's always been there. Now to finish off, to to kind of quickly make a point about where we're going in regard to the great reset conversation and also a point to make sure we're clear about how important it is that we're accurate today, guys. I just can't stress this enough. Now, this bothered me on that panel I was just on, and I I'm I'm seeing this spread all over the place on social media now with memes and stuff where it says, "You'll own nothing and you'll be happy," and it's in quotes, but it's not what it said. That I actually I, didn't, I forgot frustratingly enough on that panel what it literally said, but we keep seeing this floated by people in the quasi-independent media. As if that's because remember, this we've been pointing to this for a long time, and this was censored back then. And people like that th- said we were ridiculous for pointing at this now. Now it's acceptable, so now it's being stated again. But we can clearly see this doesn't say you'll own nothing and be happy. It says, and this is important, it matters. Welcome to 2030, which is important to include because that's the obvious tie to Agenda 2030, to the passports, to everything else they planned in this time frame. But it says, I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. So, if you're going to quote something, you damn well make sure that it's right. First of all. Now, what's important about including the entire conversation and the context around it, and not just say, well, this is what the Great Reset is, because that's nobody, if somebody's saying the Great Reset is this, they don't understand it. And I'm not trying to insult anybody because that is how they're dismissing this, because we're not being careful with while we're discussing this stuff. No privacy is really important. But it's also life has never been better, and it's also a think tank and discussion, not necessarily a provable part of how they're building this. Now, do I believe this is where it's going? 100%. And I've proven this in other ways, and I'll show you that. But here's why it's so important to be accurate with how we frame this. Again, here's the actual Forbes article, also by the De- World Economic Forum. Let me show you again. It says, welcome to 2030. I owe nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. World Economic Forum, right there. Okay. Here is how things, if you state these incorrectly or however it's working, however it gets stated, you know, as, as a half-hearted argument, if you don't really fully grasp why this is relevant, pe- people like this come out and say, fact check, false. No, this isn't what they said. And all it says is a statement is just a title of an article published in 2016 about a vision of a city in 2030. It is not an official declaration of the World Economic Forum. Now, I've never said that right? Because we're being careful with this. I'm not saying this is the future and how they've said it's going to be. No, it's a very clear vision of the World Economic Forum for the future that they're now building with everything else they're doing. And yes, that's a fair statement because they've stated this. In fact, again, the real point is if you really want to understand this, actually read The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab and it's alarming how they paint exactly what we're talking about here, right? I've already shown you all this. It's exactly what they're talking about here. A world where you get to, you know, and they frame it as a positive, right? But the bottom line is Americans don't want this. By and large, they do not want this. Somebody, it's funny. Somebody's saying this in the chat that they literally said, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. I mean, guys, I'm showing you. It. This is what it says right there. Okay. And it's in everywhere it's been stated. That's what it says right there. Now, the bottom line is not necessarily that to say, you'll owe nothing and be happy is incorrect, but if you're going to put it in quotes, that's the important part to make sure is accurate. But on top of it, the real point is that this goes much further than just that one think tank. No, but see, this is my point, guys. Hey, look, is it, am I, is it possible I'm wrong? Sure. But what I'm showing you is the tweet, guys. This is the tweet. This is the World Economic Forum tweet. It's right here. So some people in the chat are saying, no, the World Economic Forum tweet said the opposite. It's right there. Now, if I'm wrong, please send it to me. I'll I'll talk about it tomorrow. But the point is, not only this, but also, and I think this is what they deleted. I I had the Wayback Machine version. Yep, right here. Let me me show you guys. I don't know why. It's funny that people, it's, right, someone's saying it's more than one thing. Right, I'm well aware of that. But here, look. If it says it in a truncated way, it's not the actual thing. That's my point, guys. Because it's so. This is what it actually said. What's funny, by the way, is note that there's a lot of the stuff even the way back machine that gets yanked. I don't know how they do that, but they do. Let's see, is it loading? It should be. No, look, they removed that too. Isn't that strange? One of these has got to work. I found one of them that was, there we go. Okay, see, right here. This is the this is the page. So if anybody was saying that in quotes, they're incorrect. In fact, in, I, I've never in my case anywhere seen the World Economic Forum say this not exactly like that. Again, I won't, I won't belabor the point, send it to me. And if you're right, I'll show it tomorrow. But if I don't show it tomorrow, let's all assume this is what is right. Welcome to 2030, I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. That's every other place we've looked at, right? That's exactly what it says. Okay, so my point is it's important to be accurate. Because what they'll do is do this. Now, again, just getting away from the actual verbatim quote, that's just one part of it. Simply by framing this, and this is the more important part, as what the Great Reset is. Right? There's a level of truth to that, but it's not, you can't, if you're stating that, they're going to debunk you just like this. So what we need to do is flesh out the reality of what the Great Reset actually is, and then make sure that's clear to people that this world, the idea of what they're stating in this discussion is just one angle of how they're framing this. The smart cities and the control of the top-down you know, technocratic situation with smart grids and 5G technology, that's what it's all really about. It's just one part of it. Your national Nashville, um, Nashville Angela just points something out. That's interestingly in the same vein of thought at this rate, it will not be long until they say you can't use the service unless you upload your personal medical information. Samsung pay is saying, add your vaccine record to Samsung pay to Samsung pay. I okay. How does that make sense? I mean, obviously she's right. Why would it be connected with pay? They're, they're building the infrastructure guys. It's very, very clear to me. Now, finishing this off in a a point about BlackRock in regard to this exact discussion, and and this ties into the financial side of this discussion. Also, on the note before I forget, I just scheduled another interview with Catherine Austin Fitz coming up in March, and we're going to get in depth into the rollback of the narrative, what we actually think is happening and how that's going to be used financially going forward, but also specifically the ingredients of the injection specifically the concept of graphene oxide and other discussions therein, or nanotechnology or the Ryder-Fulmix group and what they've found, and we're going to discuss this in depth. Nobody, in your opinion, in my opinion, should be given more credence in this conversation than a career researcher like Catherine Austin Fitz. So we're going to flush this out in depth. And of course, I'm guaranteed there'll be some people that still won't be happy with the objectivity because they've already made up their mind, right? Which is the last thing we should be doing here objectivity should be praised, even if it's something that you disagree with. There's plenty of you guys in the chat that probably have beliefs that I'm still on the fence about or vice versa, right? That has to be okay, especially within our community. So very important. But let's finish with this clip. Let me just play it right here. And this is Wall Street Silver pointing this out. This is former executive of BlackRock, Edward Down, telling you what he sees coming. And it seems to be pretty alarmingly what we see coming as well.
5: The global debt uh, bubble... Is that is at its peak, and um, it's becoming apparent, uh, given what's going on across the globe, that um, we're at the end. And due to that fact, um, we're going to see um, lots of crazy things in the financial markets. I think uh, we're going to see um, the credit markets become unhinged, the equity markets become unhinged. Um, you know, the Fed got a reprieve from COVID when they were able to, you know, the cover of COVID print sixty-five percent more money. Um, to keep this thing afloat, but we're at the end end days here, and um, a lot of what you're seeing in the response from global governments is what I believe is um, setting up a system to um, you know under the guise of medical tyranny right to uh, prevent uh, the riots that are going to ensue once this thing all unwinds that's my personal belief, and I, I watch what people do know what they say
4: wow that's a pretty alarming statement, right he's literally telling you he believes this is going to explode in riots when the reality kind of becomes very clear to us and all their restrictions and control is all about preparing for that. Now, that could be the reality. Either way, what he's telling you is that this prepare for a financial, and I would argue an engineered collapse. This is the former executive of BlackRock telling you what we've already been discussing and how they're controlling this and Castronoth and Fitz has talked about. what's What's really interesting to me is the discussion of COVID-19 because don't forget, we've told you this. As we called it, the COVID coup. The BlackRock takeover of the of American interest. This happened in June. This this is June 18, 2020. This is a BlackRock plan that basically ended up giving control of the Fed to the BlackRock or the the Treasury, the US Treasury. That was written before COVID-19. That's verifiable. Watch the show for yourself. And then sold to the American public as created for COVID-19, just like the Great Reset and everything else that was created before we got here. Now, if you don't recognize this picture, this is a classic picture about the, you know, the, the, uh, standard oil and James Corbett has talked about this a lot and how they've used, you know, they, they used the argument of how breaking them up was the best thing to do, but really breaking them as up, breaking up their centralized control was how it eventually gave them all the wealth in the world, which gave them control over literally everything by making them look like they weren't in control. Right. That's what we, I think is where, you know, to a large degree, we're going to watch things like these kind of manipulations play out, but. This happened a long time ago. Here's another one we discussed, the BlackRock COVID bailout plan written before the crisis. And finally, the one we just had with Catherine Austin Fitz, global financial coup d'etat and a technocratic slavery that follows. I'm looking forward to our our conversation with, I love Catherine Austin Fitz is somebody I respect immensely. And I'm looking forward greatly to speaking with her about this because it's important stuff. This is where it's going.
5: It's at its peak and um, it's becoming apparent uh, given what's going on across the globe, that um, we're at the end.
4: Yeah, so this guy clearly thinks that this is the end, like we're there now. And I think we have to remember that a lot of experts that, have, by the way, have been wrong a lot in regard to economics, have been saying this has been coming for quite a long time. Right, So take that for what you will and realize that they've known that. And a lot of people argue the COVID-19, like Catherine Austin-Fitz, in, in, at least in part, that the entire thing was at least in part about covering that up. And guess who they put in place so we would lay it at his feet? Donald Trump. Interesting. Well, we'll have to wait and see how this pans out. Hopefully, we've pushed back just enough to stop this from happening. But as people's point, like his point, the damage has already been done, financially anyway. And we're going to watch it ensue. So right now, one of the best takeaways from this, guys, one is that you've made a difference. You have 100% made a difference in the world by pushing back against this. But more than anything, based on where they put you, it's important and it always is important always has been important to be prepared, right? Gather water, food, whatever else. And I'm not saying this in the sense that there's an impending doom right around the corner. Certainly always could be. It's always intelligent to do that. And I think if any COVID, whatever this is, is showing us anything, it's that that was always the smart move. All those people we make fun of and the preppers, they were sitting pretty when this first books, you know, whatever you want, it's told paper or whatever else. Right now, it's, never been more intelligent to make sure you prepared for any sort of problem. Loss of electricity, loss of power or loss of, you know, anything, food, water, medical supplies, learn how to fix a car, learn how to grow food. These are so incredibly important and they always have been. It's it's disgusting. We don't teach these things in school or don't make people learn these things in school, but ending today, self-responsibility, take it upon yourself to prepare yourself for whatever's coming next because they won't stop. But please take a positive from this and knowing that we have power that they are afraid of when we come together. And this showed us this. I mean, I always point to the cannabis discussion as how we can see that when, you know, all these states have pushed back over the years, it kind of just stopped being a real issue that was enforced. And it shows you the power people have when they cross party lines or really realize that their parties are an illusion in and of themselves. They're scared of you because the power rests in you. Recognize that. All right, so stay the course out there, guys. We are having an effect. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
2: What the fourth Industrial Revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth Industrial Revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, uh, just as an example. It's you who are changed. And of course, this has a big impact on your identity. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world, which we had, um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal, in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction, it will not happen. Um, The the, uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces.